And so we're going to take a break there, uh, get, you know, stretch our legs, hit the restroom, all that good stuff. And when we come back after sponsor identification, you don't need to know that we're using a restroom. Let me redo that. <laughs> so we've wrapped up the first half. I got to pay. <laughs> I got to pay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Are we good? <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> Do you gotta Oosa. go <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that has been going for way too damn long, but we're not stopping now. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, today, being that this is near the end of the year, and this episode will probably come out like right around the end of the year, uh, we decided, you know, everyone else is doing their year in review. Looking back at the year that was 2019, we decided that wasn't far enough because depending on who you ask, this is also the end of the decade. And as a computer programmer, I count zero to nine that for this is the end of the 2010s. <laughs> 2020 is just around the corner. So this is the end of a decade. Technically, every year is the end of a decade. It just depends on where you start counting. <laughs> We're doing the tens. We're the doing teens. the tens. This is the, this is the end of the ten, the, the tens digit. Roaring 20s right. are tomorrow. <laughs> So the end of a millennium, right, Kevin? Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, end of an epoch of, of an all epoch. time. Yeah, end of an epoch. But at least it's not the end of the 40th century yet. No, no, or 41st millennium. 41st millennium, yet. yes. It's the end of the world as we know it. No, no I feel no. fine. We're still going. But no, we are going to basically be looking at the decade that was the 2010s in uh, Warhammer 40K because we started recording April of 2011. So we've been here recording for the vast majority of it and we were definitely playing in 2010 mm. so yes. funny the podcast didn't really seem to start for me until 2013 <laughs> but you know that's fine you guys have a couple years. <laughs> yeah we'll, ca- we'll catch you up not much happened those first two <laughs> yeah i remember i actually went back and looked to see when it started and i was like oh my gosh we've been, been doing it that long yeah too long. A entirely lot too has long changed. a lot a lot has changed yes and that's one of the reasons why we're going to be covering this uh, like i even broke down the number of releases and everything and, and what i have is not comprehensive there are books and things that, like some of the supplements that i didn't cover but i wanted to make sure that we kind of got a sense of the scope of like when big things happened yeah. and when we got a lot of other like and when when things really started picking up volume wise uh but first as always news and new releases and one listener mail that didn't make it into our uh last week's uh listener mail holiday listener mailbag so, uh, news and re- new releases, not a whole lot, but we did get some Christmas reveals. Yes. So, uh, the first one is, and we had talked about this a little bit during our, uh, Sisters of Battle review, and that is, uh, the, uh, Ritual of the Damned Psychic Awakening book. So those are continuing. And, uh. Yeah, and we got, uh, pictures of, oh gosh, what's the name of the model now? Um, Captain. Lazarus, Master Lazarus. 
It's like I remember it was on here somewhere. Uh, but yeah, captain for the Dark Angels Fifth Company, the, and he's a Primaris, the first Primaris in the Inner Circle. Yeah, so he knows he knows the the full skinny now. And honestly, he's a really great uh, Asriel model if you want to like use a Primaris model for him because he's got the cool winged helm and the sword and just a cool looking model. Somebody yeah. did point out that he is very similar to the uh, one of the Primaris lieutenant models for. They're all Primaris lieutenants. Well, I mean, at this but point. there was there is one. And and I like the model too, but I think it's the one of the specific like games day ones where he is also holding a sword and basically the same thing, and he's holding his helmet, yeah, and like the same thing, but like, like the one we got at yeah, the it's, Citadel. It's, it's that one, yeah. Um, and somebody shows except side he's side, got the like, Dark Angel wing, and it's helmet. like, yeah, they're similar. They're Space Marines. They're all similar guys. Like it's a cool model. Just enjoy it. They just, <laughs> they probably just went into the CAD file, added oh, some sure. Dark Angels gubbins to him, add some robes, add a you know, like add he's got wings. A, he's got an incense sensor and yeah, yeah, wings on the helmet. And you know what? Fine, it's fine. It's a good model. Like yeah. if, you know, if you're a Dark Angels player, you should definitely pick it up. I think it's going to fit with your with your army. Also, I find it interesting that uh, the Dark Vengeance box set models are being made available one week only, made to order. Also, at like twice the price. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, funny how that works. Because I looked at it and I'm like, oh, that could be kind of cool yeah. to maybe pick some of those up. 200 and something. I'm like, mm, nope. <laughs> well, remember, you're not getting that starter set uh, markdown anymore. Yeah, and I'm not getting the small rule book with it either. No. Nope. Which is, no, quite frankly, the reason why I bought a couple of the starter boxes. <laughs> uh, which also makes me wonder, does that mean the uh, Chaos Cultists are going out of... Because right now, the only other way to get Cultists is the like, five-model push-fit box. Yeah, that's well, that's true. And and we've been getting... Technically, there's the Cultists from the most recent uh, uh, Blackstone, Blackstone Fortress. Which like, honestly are better models. Which, yeah, they are better models, and they're sold. I think they're sold separately now from the Escalation box. Um, or They, they w- are sold... Well, okay, so there's a couple ways to get them. There's the Escalation box... There is the Servants of the Abyss box, which is yeah. all the Chaos models. From, well, that's from the I, original Blackstone. No, it includes the... Oh, it does include the new cultists? It includes the new stuff, too, I believe. But it, I don't yet know if... Actually, no, I think that, I think you're right. I think it is only the original, and then there is a box that has those cultists and the uh, Firebrand. Yeah. Because I think it's like $25 for like the unit of like eight cultists and the character, which is actually a pretty outstanding deal for GW prices. Yeah, it's not bad at all, really. Um, and like I said, I personally like the models better, but uh, I would love to see a multi-part plastic cultist kit at some point. Yeah, that would that would be nice. Well, although technically they have those, and they're called Necromunda, especially now that there's the new true. Necromunda, like the Corpse Grinder true. gang that's in like their new starter set with that the new true. Zone Mortalis turn. That is true. Terrain. That is true. Which I haven't picked that one up yet. I don't play enough Necromunda to justify it at this point, but it does look pretty sweet. At some point, I'm going to pick up the uh, the Arbites. And I know they're not the Arbites, but the, the Arbite-looking guys, because I want to run Arbities. Arbities. The, the new White Dwarf actually has a full <laughs> pronunciation guide for everything. And okay, it, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, that is kind of cool. Like, they, um, like, it is officially Adeptus Custodes. Nice. They do mention the custodes pronunciation, but mm. they like, and it's Rabute Gulliman. Robot Girly Man? No, no, it. no. <laughs> Rabu- Robot it, is, it is officially Rabuti. Rabute. Uh, um, he's still Bobby G. Yeah. But, um. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do want to pick the, the Arbutes 
uh, box up because I would love to run them as like uh, inquisitorial. Okay, Hinch, Cultus of the there. Abyss. Yeah, Cultus okay. of the Abyss is a twenty-five dollar box with one, two, three, four. Yeah, eight cultists eight, in eight it. Eight cultists in the firebrand. And like, then there's the servants of the abyss, which is all like the traitor guard and everything from the first box, okay, but not right. the. Uh, or no, it does have it's the not Chaos the, Space Marines, but it doesn't have the Lord. It doesn't There's have the Lord because he's per- a separate character. Now. Right. Yeah. That you can pick up. Yeah. Um, aside from the uh, Dark Vengeance box stuff, they released a couple of old, 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 <laughs> Dark old Angel. Dark Angel models. Like old Cypher. Including one uh, veteran Sergeant Naaman that I don't know that I'd ever seen that model before. And there's probably a reason for like, that. I mean, it's no, not I think a that, very good like, model. Well, no, it's not a good model. But I think that model had gone out of production before I started playing 40K. And we talked that was well over 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that I'd ever seen that model before. I was like, wow, and, that's... And you lost nothing. Oh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> I did think it was kind of weird that they put the, the, the old Cypher model out there when new Cypher is well, yeah, available. I, it is available, but it's kind of a, like, a, hey, if you want that classic... Yeah. That yeah. classic, you know, Guns Akimbo... I can't imagine. What? But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you like yeah. everybody short and stubby... Hey, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and there was, you know, some total War Warhammer stuff they announced. In well, the they, starter set it, for- well, they also like uh, so. There's new Age of Sigmar starter set, which is like all flying units because like War in the Skies. And then the total War Warhammer thing is just if you order a hundred dollars, or if you place, an, sorry, not a hundred dollars, just if you order any physical product on Games Workshop, they give you Total War Warhammer for free. Oh, that's kind of cool. You get download code, and I've heard mm-hmm. that's a great game. Neat. I've heard it's it a really is. Fun game. It is Total so. War Warhammer is a lot of fun. Um, I've, I've I haven't pl- well. I played Total War Warhammer two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Wait, uh, and I have one, and there is a mode where you can combine both of them and make one gigantic mega game covering oh, like cool. two different continents. Because because yeah, imagine Warhammer two and... takes place all in like Nagaroth and all all the stuff in to, that is fantasy North America and South sure. America, whereas one is fantasy Europe. And this lets you combine them into, like, one giant okay, map. that's kind of cool. So, uh, yeah. No idea if a Total War Warhammer 3 is coming anytime soon, but no idea. No yeah, idea. yeah. Uh, well, like, not bad for, like, a midweek, like, Christmas Day review. reveal. Like, oh, yeah. They didn't, they didn't have to reveal anything, so that was kind of cool that they, yeah, no, you it, know, yeah. get the hype train going. Totally I don't fine. think there was any real new release this week. Not really. You know, I think it was... Um, just the the white dwarf. Yeah, yeah, it's just the white dwarf stuff. Which so. the, hey, it's Christmas, you know, yeah, Christmas which, week. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. Tech, oh, and, and tech priest. Uh, Gor- yeah, Glombrindle or whatever, I'm whatever sure I'm screwing his says. name up. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wasn't in the pronunciation guide because he's like what? a no because he's not like a, he's a, a tech priest. Well, now <laughs> he is. Glombrindle. 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 Yeah. We'll get that right. Complete with a servitor gabo. I, yep. I thought that was pretty great. Like I'm like, you know what? Good on you guys. That's good. New, I knew they were going to release 40k squats models eventually, <laughs> and uh, they do have uh, their 2019 miniature of the year voting. Which I went ahead. I, I'll just you know put it up over there right now. I went and voted for Abaddon the Despoiler because that because he is a model. It's a it fanta- a it's a model. fantastic model. It's a great model to paint, and it's a model that needed to be made a long time ago. Yes, it is well overdue. The only other one that I would say that and, for me is is a little bit is close, probably a close second would be the Chaos Knight model. The because Chaos I Knight, really do like it, but it is also just an evolution on an existing model. It's not it's not the same as the Abaddon model. Although technically, you could say the Abaddon model is just a, a version of Bobby G. <laughs> Kind of is true. It, he, but... it, it's it's damn near a mirror match 
for Bobby sure. G. But and I mean, I guess mine would be the Homer vote of Jane's R because it like, no, kinda, that, like it was an updated model yeah. and it just looks awesome. Yeah, no, it it's way better than the old Jane's R model. And the old Jane's R model wasn't bad, but yeah, you know, the new Jane's R is a very good model. Not going to argue that. I just thought there's something about Abaddon that <laughs> just like because the old Abaddon was really 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 bad. bad. Also, as I've said, I've painted the new Abaddon and it's not just a cool model to look at. It's actually a pretty good model to paint too. Yeah. And you painted one, Richard. For, yes, yeah, I for have. Crew, so yeah. No, it's it's a very good model. So, uh, no, I again, no bad choices on that. They, and they listed like everything. Like you could vote for, hey, if you like uh, Space Marine suppressors, you know that was right. a, basically every model they've released in twenty, including like all the individual characters from like Blackstone Fortress Escalation and stuff like that were on there. So it's like if there's a model that they've put out, it was on the list to vote for. The, but you could only pick one. Yeah, the only other one I would say that we haven't mentioned, and and obviously we're forty k podcast, so I'll stray back into the thing here. The uh, Cipher Lords. For Warcry, are awesome models. Yeah, no, a lot of the, the models for Warcry are pretty sweet. They, they did, they've done a very good job on those. Um, so, and, and also like the Osiarch Bone Lord, or like yeah, the Bone Lords are also some yeah, like stuff. Yeah, that, those are some sweet looking models. Prim- Primaris Tomb Kings, yeah, <laughs> that means basically yeah, what yeah. they are. But uh, yeah, so they've put out some fantastic models this year, and uh, yeah, definitely go vote for that. Also, I think until the end of the year, so it'll probably be over by the time you hear this. But uh, Warhammer Heroes, yes, I need to I need to put in my my vote for, or my nomination for that. I I think I know who I'm going to nominate this year, and if I you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and say it on the air. I, and if you are listening to this and have not had a chance to, and I will try to get this out before voting closes, mm-hmm. I think Jason Horn should win. I, that's actually who I was thinking too, because, because of all the stuff he's done with the Lord Marshall Conference this well, year and the streaming. And, and, the str- and, and yeah, yeah, Jason has 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 done so much for the gaming community in the Midwest mm-hmm. and for his local community to the point where On the Rock Ministries rewarded him with a special trophy yeah. this year. To to thank him for all the work that he and through him the Warhammer community forty k community has done for that that church that ministry and for the community that it serves yes absolutely so no Jason Jason is somebody who and especially because if you listen to our old episodes like the first interview we had with Jason before the first Iron Halo he's like I just started playing like six months ago and I want to start and I want to hold a tournament and it's it has exploded <laughs> yeah. since then. Well, and on a personal note, I like it because Jason was able was like on the solo episode that I did. Like he came on and kept it from being a rambling like train wreck of an episode. So I think that in did of itself, he, that in of itself should be. <laughs> I well, edited that episode. Did it <laughs> more so? Well, it would have it would have been way worse. <laughs> fair enough. So fair enough. we got a salvageable episode out of that instead of me like learning how to you know instead of me just like doing it for fun and so. and and jason travels to like every major event in the midwest and sets up shop to help streaming if he can and like even showed like he showed up at uh midmo maelstrom even though then it turned out they didn't have bandwidth to do streaming so he had it home you know he had it home because like he's also got two small kids and yeah. his wife's like oh great if i could be glad to have you home but the fact that he drove all the way from oklahoma to the middle of missouri to help even see if he could stream there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it's been fantastic. So, 
No, I, I would strongly. I mean, again, vote however you feel. If there's somebody in your local area or somebody you know online who has uh, gone above and beyond for their gaming community, absolutely support them. But yeah, for my 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 personal vote is is Jason. Yeah, just because uh, he he has done so much. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for news and new releases. So, uh, we, as I said, we have one listener mail that didn't make it into our listener mailbag. And I also realized when we were, when I was editing the listener mailbag, I forgot to tell people how to write in. <laughs> uh. Yeah. It was kind of a quickly thrown together, uh, like recording session. This is so. what happens when I'm not involved. That's. <laughs> So yeah, because you had it. absolutely everything to do with that. Absolutely. So yeah. it's your fault. Yes, especially <laughs> considering that you have a non-functional like microphone and portable hey, recording rig that you didn't I think bring. this one works. That that's not the po- <laughs> well it is portable, but it's not your portable necessarily. Well, no, I mean it works now. You didn't at least give me a non you didn't give me a non-functioning one for this. That can be arranged. So. I've got the board right here. Just grabbing them. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they they can't Hear you turning the sound. Yes, down. Oh, no, yeah, oh, I was you, making, you were making all the noise. He was yeah. making noise. <laughs> I believe me. I can hear that it goes. Ha, ha. <laughs> <sighs> so, it's a joke for like two people. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a joke for well, at least three of us well, here. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> all right. So anyway, uh, we'll tell you how to write in at the end of the segment. But this we letter, promise this time, we do. This ro- letter comes from Robert Chumsey. And Robert writes, Hey guys, I hope everyone is doing well. Yeah, pretty well. Uh, A friend of mine pulled me back into 40k a few months ago. I originally played during 4th edition and stopped at the beginning of 5th, so I've been out of the game for a decade. Well, you're in luck because we're going to tell you everything you missed in this this episode. (laughs) Uh, My friend asked me if I wanted to split a Dark Imperium box, and I ended up playing Death Guard. Though they are different from what I'm used to, having played Tyranids and Sisters of Battle in Fourth. Okay, that is a <laughs> bit of whiplash right there. <laughs> yeah. I found myself enjoying how tough they can be to kill and the body horror aesthetic. Uh, he has been having a rough go of it playing Space Marines. That's me doubting, but anyway. Well, Space Marines versus Death Guard. Oh, it's rough. Oh, wait a minute. He decided to play Dark Angels, having fun. There's your problem. <laughs> having fallen in love with their aesthetic and lore. Uh, unfortunately, since we've only been playing against each other, mainly because we moved into tw- we moved in 2014 from Massachusetts to Ohio and do not have a good idea of where people play, while not knowing where to play other than his dining room table has been an issue. The main problem is I end up winning most of the games we play. My friend blames this blames that. Though Dark Angels are fluffy and cool as shit, it's the weakest army. Death Guard is way too overpowered, and I, being the experienced player, means he can't win. As the experienced player, I want to make sure I can make the games we play fun. I realize that winning is fun, but that doesn't have to be the only way you have fun. It doesn't help that when I was playing back and forth, the group I was playing were super competitive, and my friend has called me out on it. I have been picking up parts of very of different armies to add some variety to what he has to face, getting into Tau and being lucky enough to snag his sisters a battle box set to kind of help the situation. Uh, this was a long way of trying to ask, how can I make the games we play more fun, but also what kind of advice can I give my friend to help him become both a better player and to enjoy the game more? Uh, thanks for making an awesome podcast. You helped me pull the trigger on Tau, and I'm loving their fluff and the crisis d- suit designs. Keep up the good work. Robert Chumsey. So I would definitely say that um for you know to help to help with like just making you know the the games more balanced 
uh, try to go through and run like different missions. You know, in Chapter Approved, there's all those Echoes of War missions. There's new Maelstrom missions. There's a lot of different ways that you can play that don't necessarily that you can still win without being the better army. Like you can play as defenders, you can play as like the attacker. You can you can do certain types of missions that'll help kind of make the games more fun, even if it is just you know if it, it, one army is less powerful than the other. Yeah, and and especially we use like the acceptable losses rule where yeah, mm-hmm. if you get tabled, you don't necessarily lose as long as you had more objectives. Like especially for doing like Maelstrom of War is good to kind of even the field a bit because your opponent may just not get as good objectives as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you know, Dark Angels is an army that, depending on how you build it, can actually do decently well against Death Guard because all their plasma weapons. Yeah, can, I was I was gonna say Hellblasters. Yes, Hellblasters are good. Yeah, Hell, mm-hmm. yeah, Hellblasters are really solid. Um, try to like. You know, there's things you can do in Dark Angels that are very effective in that, and you've got a lot, and especially if you can mix in some of the newer stuff. And hey, in a week or two, Dark Angels will basically get their eighth edition bump up because mm-hmm. Ritual of the Damned yeah. will have all the new stuff and a whole bunch of new stratagems and stuff and a new doctrine for them. I imagine it'll probably be a tactical doctrine yeah. to. Uh, possibly make their plasma even better but like weapons of the dark age yeah is, is a great ability. is a damn good ability uh, and we'll make sure like and especially that in the in the osreal brick or even just a well you want you know something that lets you just re-roll especially re-roll ones so mm-hmm. that you can just you know get hot with impunity yeah and like and as we mentioned like the new La- uh, lazarus model you know should give another you know thing to the primaris to be able to kind of add those re-rolls yeah and there'll probably be some synergies and abilities with him um so i would say that yeah that there's there's tools within that army to beat death guard pretty easily and then from your your side you know branching out to other armies is good yeah um death guard is actually a, an army that one of the reasons i like it there's a lot of ways to build armies in that in that faction, you can go heavy on Marines. You can go heavy on, you know, on plague zombies. You can go heavy on demon engines. So you can kind of vary your list builds as well. Um, if you have a larger model collection than he does to keep the games a little more fun and, you know, uh, flavorful rather than just, you know, being the same thing that he has to fight every time. Yeah. And also, Richard, you were going to. No. Well, and also. I was just going to agree. Okay. <laughs> uh, and also, going back to uh, our mailbag from last week, we, you know, Talon wrote in and asked, well, like, you know, should I tell my opponent how to beat my army? And we said, like, we said, like, no, unless it's more of a teaching or casual game. And it sounds like this is actually, if you're trying to figure out. Uh, what to do and if your if your friend is calling you out like well you, you're just used to playing way more competitive people well that may be very true but since you're trying to kind of help them get up help your friend get up to speed maybe consider giving a little bit more feedback like hey i'm gonna you know like if you notice a a particular tactical mistake he might be making exactly. o- over and over again yeah Mention like, it to them. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily need, need to... You don't need to play their army for them. Right. But yeah, actually, absolutely be willing to call out, maybe after the game, say, hey, you know, if you had gone after this instead of that, or, you know, 
as one thing death guard has a lot uh, has very, a lot of resilience but depending on how you build them i mean they can't have a lot of killing power but they aren't necessarily the killiest of armies no they're not they they no. actually i would say they have far less killing power than dark angels do quite yeah frankly i i think one of the big things about playing against death guard is is target priority you have to really be on the right target and make sure you focus and kill a thing. Yep. Yeah. Cause if you don't, it, you'll like, if you try to distribute your firepower evenly, you will not have a good time. Yep. Yeah. Focus fire on one thing and, and whittle it down. But yeah. Um, the other thing I'd mentioned too, since you guys mentioned, they'd mentioned that they had moved, you know, to a different area. Um, you know, social media is great to, to get on and, and try to find play groups in your area. Um, you know, to try to connect with other people and just expand that group out, find local game stores, you know, and ask around and find other people that are yeah, I that mean, are in the area. Yeah, it's like you're in Ohio, so look there's plenty f- of people playing 40k. In well, Ohio. yeah, I but like, that. <laughs> like look for, and you may have to drive a little bit depending sure. on where you are. And if like if you're not near a major city, you may have to drive a little bit. Even if you're in a major city, you have to drive a yeah, bit. Yeah, true, true. But uh, I mean, yeah, put out a call and like look for Ohio 40k or something mm-hmm. like that, or or like if you're near columbus or cincinnati or you know where toledo wherever yeah. you know wherever you happen to be near uh look for like game stores if they're let's in fact games workshop let let's find out where your nearest uh location is because they'll have let's see store finder we're gonna look in ohio we're gonna we're gonna do you a solid here robert so postcode or town. Well, let's see. We're going to let's look at Columbus. Capital is always a good city to start with. Okay, so I see a GW store in Powell, which is near Columbus. It's on the outskirts. It's like a suburb of Columbus. And then a whole bunch of different stores. The Guard Tower, the Soldiery, Guard Tower East, Hobbies Galore, Beyond the Board, Hobby Central, Odyssey Games, Game Table Adventures, Fun Factory, Dex and Dice Game. These are all retailers. Now, these may not be... Some of these may just be retailers. May Some of these may have gaming space. But if nothing else, you can always ask there. Like, you know, ask somebody behind the counter. Hey, do you know where people play 40K? Yeah. So... I mean that that's a good place to start. The GW store is always good. Now if you're like near Cleveland, uh Cleveland has uh, a GW store in Mer- Mayfield Heights, Games Workshop, Eastgate Shopping Center. And then there's Gamers Galaxy, Weird Realms, Immortals, M Zone Games, Gamers Haven, Gamer another Gamers Haven, uh Recess HQ, Shieldwall Gaming Club. I mean there's a whole bunch of So just Get on the GW site, look for stores that carry their product, look for the nearest GW store. If you have to make a make a bit of a, a drive to visit one of those locations. Because the GW store, if nothing else, they'll always have even the little one person stores will have a couple of tables. They'll have somebody there who's like, Oh yeah, we play you know, people come in and play 40k these days of the week. Um, I can put you in touch with like here. Yeah. Let me get you the information. Somebody who runs a local gaming club, or you know, I mean, they 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 will definitely help you out because they have a vested interest in you finding people. Yes, to play they against, they, so. they want you to buy their stuff. They will find help you find <laughs> opponents. So uh, that's that would is what I would do yeah. to seek out 
uh, a new you know, players. And that also gets you into a larger playing group, mm-hmm. which gives your friend more people to play against. And there may be other people playing armies that are better matchups yep. for him or more uh, suited to his play style. Yeah, and that'll, that'll break up the mo- monotony of just you guys playing each other, but we'll help him learn, we'll help you learn by playing other armies, playing other people. Just seeing other people that, you know, know how to put that play Dark Angels, you know, will will give him ideas that you may not know because you don't play Dark Angels. Right. Um, and there's also all sorts of good, like, tactical f- Facebook groups for the different factions. So there's, I know there's a 40k Death Guard one. I know there's a Dark Angels one. Yeah. Go in there and ask, you know, like, hey, I'm, this is the list I'm running. What can I do to, you know, what can I do specifically to beat Death Guard? And you'll get all sorts of advice. Some of it may be bad, but some of it will be good and helpful. Yeah. Uh, other things you can do, you know, we talked about missions. Play narrative missions. Play mm-hmm. a mission where, like, maybe your friend has uh, 2,000 points of Dark Angels and you've got, like, 1,500 or maybe even only 1,000 of Death Guard, but your stuff, like, respawns at the mm-hmm. edge of your deployments, like, at the at your table edge. So just kind of like, like maybe you're running a bunch of pox walkers and he's got to see how long he can hold out against like pox walkers mm-hmm. and something else. It's like, and also, yeah, tailor what you bring, you know, as Kevin said, Death Guard has a lot of ways to play. So yeah, mix up what you're bringing. Maybe, you know, if the issue is he's having trouble and, uh, he's having trouble beating your lists. And I don't, and I'm not saying necessarily. You know, this is a situation where you actually, it's not just a pickup game. You actually know your opponent. You know what they're going to bring. You know, play around with maybe slightly suboptimal lists. Don't bring, you know, don't bring your killer tournament style list to someone who's wanting to play casually. Yeah. You know, and and just like figure out like, okay, so what's something neat I can do? Doesn't necessarily mean make it bad. Just figure out like, okay, so what units do I not often use that I could kind of mix up and still feel like the kind of army I want to play? The other thing I'd, I'd recommend as well is just, and I find this fun because clearly we talk about 40k a lot. After you guys play a game, sit and talk for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and like, oh yeah, well this must, maybe this, I would have done this instead or yeah, that was a good move to move this unit. Just kind of talk and kind of recap your games with them will help him get an understanding and like explain to him, I did this because you did this. That's, so next time look out for, you know, you run your hell blasters out in front to get better shots. I countered assault him with this, like, and just kind of explain your logic so he understands both sides of it, too. Yeah, and also be sure to, like, encourage him to celebrate those moments of the game when something cool happens. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, when you have that character who ridiculously makes every save that, like, somebody throws a bunch of shots at them and they make every save. And then, like, shrug it all off. And and from the Dark Angel side. Like, yeah, somebody yeah. who's done the Dark Angel side who makes every save. And then give him a medal after the battle. <laughs> or when you do... <laughs> or when you have something amazing happen where, like, you kill a Psyker and he explodes and kills ev- all the models on that half the table. You know? Fun stuff like that. Like, those are the moments that you that you have a lot of fun with. I games. know you guys laugh, but you can actually paint little medals and oh, put another pretty yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> but, uh... Well, and, and actually, back in, like, I think the fourth edition... uh the fourth edition rule book, like they had like the original like combat patrol rules, and they did encourage you, like if you had a character that survived battle after battle, like customize them, do something, like make a new version of their model with like was it chapter approved twenty seventeen or twenty? And I, I think it may have been twenty eighteen. That I ha- have it right here. Let me look. Uh, one of them has rules for upgrading characters after battles and stuff, and like yeah, narratively, I think it was twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um. 
skull or or helmet trophies on yeah. your bases. Oh yeah. And, it's like just find yeah like if you've got spare let's say you've got a yeah it's 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 chapter approved 2018 which now since 2019's out you can get 2018 for cheap yeah um yeah there's a whole section in here about battle honors and you know giving experience points and you know adding adding ranks adding things to a character giving them different abilities different honors you know so just kind of track that and uh, you know use it as a narrative thing as well to you know be able to to kind of track that you know this is the big damn hero that always performs in these games you can give them stuff and make them cooler yeah there's there's lots of things you can do but yeah definitely like sit down do do a post game review you know talk about the highlights talk about uh like things you know strategies you tried that should have worked but didn't like <laughs> yeah well like uh, there was i think our second round of the team tournament this year dennis there was like it was it was me against like another emperor's children player and he made a ridiculous number of saves, like oh saves, gosh, saves that he yes. should not have made. <laughs> but he was rolling sixes like on like on demon invuln saves like a boss. And That's then awesome. for comparison, Rob didn't make a single save. Right. So it's just, <laughs> so sometimes it averaged out. But like if he had not made those saves, it would have been a very different. Oh my gosh! Game. Yes, we would have uh, that side of the board. We would have controlled. Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes you know that you know a things like that happen. But it's also looking back. It's like there was nothing wrong with what I did strategically. It's just in the moment it fell luck. apart. Yeah, luck yeah. fell apart. <laughs> but then there have also been times like after a game, I can look at it, it's like this is exactly the point where i lost the game and it's because i i overplayed my hand or i deployed incorrectly or i i made for a gambit that didn't have a high chance to success but i needed to try it and it didn't work you know things like that that's that's how you become a better player yes. is repetition playing the same army and yes there will be times when it just feels like you don't win anything such as kevin with tau in fifth edition mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i or i just- went all kevin of 5th edition without winning a single game with my Tau. Or, or just Kevin now. Or this year, where I haven't won a single game of 40k this year. I realized that when I was uh, preparing for our game tomorrow. I was uh-huh. like, I haven't won a single game this year. <laughs> um, but no, that's how you get better. That's how you become a better player. Like, you know, you... If, if you can you find should be an excellent player by this if point. If you can find <laughs> enjoyment in in playing and, you know, the small victories and things like that, like... That will, in the long run, make you a better player. So yeah, no, it, it will, and it's important to become a better player holistically, not just in the sense of tactical acumen or you know strategic mm-hmm. planning with your army list, but also just become just more comfortable with the game, more relaxed, and able to just have fun. Because like, I, even a high end tournament player, like once they're kind of out of the zone, they can look back and just kind of be chill about it and yeah uh again also i recommend uh read goonhammer yes uh goonhammer.com has uh it's uh, run uh, a couple of the guys from the warhogs uh put articles out there specifically it's a lot look, of dark angels look tactics. for look for yeah. articles by gunham also known as chase garber yep. uh and great guy and he has basically made it his challenge this year to play dark angels and see how well he can do with it and in fact today he just posted a new article about like hey here are the changes i could make uh based on running like based on the chapter proof 2019 changes and what it did point wise to like i can run so much more stuff mm-hmm. in this list and he talks about what he built why he did it and then even like kind of a playthrough of a, a game that he played with somebody else and how it turned out, what worked, what didn't. And uh, yeah, 
yeah, look for the "Hear Me Out, Kyle" yeah. stories. Those are the those are the really good ones because uh, that's that's him talking with Kyle Thompson, basically like, "Well, hear me out. I can make Dark Angels. Work. I can do this. I can make it work." <laughs> but no, definitely recommend those for a aspiring Dark Angels player to figure out like what they can and can't do, and and again, in a week or so, that army is going to be completely changed up. Yeah, but uh, yeah, for the immediate future. Uh, Hellblasters. Hellblasters and any other plasma weapons you can get, because that's kind of Dark Angel's thing. Even their bikes, it's like, yeah, that's the, kind the of their thing. Black Knights with the, A, with the Corvus hammers and the plasma guns, yeah. the plasma talons, are super good for your yeah, card. Uh, not to spoil it too much, but those plasma guns and Corvus hammers take out a knight in one turn. Well, so the really great thing with that, too, is if you're specifically going up against, like, I, I'm only going to be playing against Death Guard. You have bikes. You have a lot more mobility. Like, Death Guard are a slow army. So, if nothing else, building a Ravenwing list to just be like, you know what? I can't kill you. I'm just going to take all the objectives. Yeah. that That's a very solid strategy. Yeah. So, there's lots of ways to make this particular matchup work, and there's lots of ways in general to make this all you know work much better so yeah definitely definitely recommend reading those articles but yeah just there's so many ways to approach this particular issue and i think we've covered a lot of them so uh but yeah don't don't be discouraged by your friend not having as much fun as they like to and and encourage them to keep trying encourage them and and figure out ways that you can meet them halfway and yeah maybe let you know play against have them play against tau have them play against sisters play smaller games larger games maybe even play like See how they do in Kill Team, you know, stuff yeah. like that. There's just, like, all different ways to approach this game. And, uh, yeah, so just so much you could, so many directions you can go from where you are now, both for both you and your friend. And if you have a letter uh, that you want to write in, whether it's a question for us, a rules question, uh, our opinion on something, a correction, uh, even a list to review... There's three good ways you can get to us. First is our email, which is our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. We have a community there where you can like us, follow us. We post what we're working on, things we're doing, uh, news as it comes out, thing, things of that nature. Uh, you can, so you can message us there. Third is on Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferredenemy singular. Uh, so. Uh, we basically collect feedback from and letters from all of those sources, collate them together, put them in the hopper, and try to get through as many as we can in one episode without the episode getting ridiculously long, if we can help it. So, uh, uh, and also, if you want to help support the show, we do have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can basically... It's basically an online tip jar. Uh, we don't put any of our episodes behind a uh, paywall or anything. All our content going back to our very first episode in 2011 is available. Although, um, the ones, uh, like I think, fa- I think iTunes only goes back like 50 or 100 episodes. Yeah, something like that. But everything is available on the preferredenemies.com website. So you can listen to everything, even the really crappy sound quality. The sound quality our- before episode 50. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we got, we got better. So, uh, but yeah, uh, so if you want to help support the show, that helps support us going to like keeping our equipment updated, uh, replacing broken microphones that like, uh, that like Kevin has and, uh, helping us go to various events. Like it's going to be covering my airfare for LVO in a month. So, 
Uh, the, anything you can do in those regards, you know, we greatly appreciate it. But again, it's not required. It's just if you feel like doing it, uh, and if it, even if it's just like a buck a month, enough people yeah. put in a buck a month, it adds up and helps out. Yeah, we greatly appreciate any help. So yeah, normally. This is where we would cut to sponsor identification and then go to our main segment. But because we've got 10 years to cover, we're just going to jump right into the main segment. And we're going to cover years 2010 through 2014. And then in our second half, we'll cover 2015 through 2019. Uh, it has been a very interesting decade. Yes. That, that is putting it mildly. GW has reinvented themselves multiple times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cause we went from like the pre, uh, Australian exterminatus age to the, <laughs> to the Australian exterminatus age to the brand new GW age, which is kind of where we are now. And it's been a wild ride. We've also been through four different editions over the last 10 years. Yeah. Starting with, because uh, 5th edition came out in 2008. So yes. by 2010, we were all firmly ensconced in, in 5th edition. With the Black Reach box. With the Black Reach box. That I bought oh so many of. Oh, oh it yeah. was When it first came out, it was 60 bucks. I, yeah. bought, I bought a couple of them. Like, yeah, it was I don't rid- play either army. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when it went up to 90 bucks, it it's was still, still a, great, a deal. great deal. Yeah, at 100 bucks, it was still a good deal. I mean, yep. And uh, a deal which they haven't quite matched since, but... And, uh, yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, that was all, that was all kind of be- in the days before this. So 2010, we're in fifth edition, and, uh, the big things about 2010, Tyranids got an update, yeah. which is where they got rules, if I remember right, for mycetic spores for the first time, mm-hmm. where you could drop pod in ter- uh, Tyranids. Yes. They didn't have a model for mycetic spores. <laughs> so everybody made their own. Everybody yeah. made- or, or bought, you know, those, Egg toys, yeah, yeah, and and use those, yeah. So they that that codex had a lot of rules for models that they didn't make, right? Which wasn't a became less of a became a thing during the decade. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but that that was you know classic you know classic GW. It's like we we have uh, we have rules for stuff that we don't make, but. We we, we we might make them later. We'll get around well, to some of them. Also, part of the hobby, they encourage yes. people at that time to, if there's not a model, go make it yourself. Yeah, well, because make, they want yeah. you to kit bash things together from other models. Yeah, and like their their position on the hobby stuff was a lot different because this was also when they were running like Ard Boys events, where it's like, eh, you don't have to have anything painted. It's fine. Just you know. 2,500 points you know. of... Yeah, 2,500 points just mostly has... you know. The, then they'd have the rules of like, well, as long as it's mostly a GW model with third-party bits and yada, yada, yada. So the other thing that we'll, we'll get to in a minute, you know, as we talk about this is the fact that the release schedule was uh, vastly, vastly different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. At this point, White Dwarf was what, a quarterly magazine? Uh, no, it was monthly. Or was it monthly still? It was monthly. Okay. It was, it, yeah. Because I, still... I know that's that's changed multiple times this month, this, this decade as well. Yeah. But no, the, no, White Dwarf was monthly. Was it monthly? Okay. White, White Dwarf was still monthly. But like, White Dwarf has gone through a bunch of different changes in decade too, and yeah. like it would, it had kind of waned as a hobby magazine, and it was kind of on the decline well, and, at this well, point. In 2010, you know? it was in a weird spot because um, Warhammer Fantasy was still going. Obviously, I don't think a 2010 Eighth Edition had come out for Fantasy yet, but. 
it was a relative at that point it was still a relatively stagnant game it, now, yeah, as we get into this, and again, we're not really going to cover fantasy, but that's when they started introducing like big monsters. You know, their modeling technology yeah. got better, so they could start doing these new big plastic monsters, which brought some new life into the game. But yeah, fantasy was just kind of there, and then they also devoted a, a decent chunk of the magazine every month to Lord of the Rings models, which it had been almost ten years since a Lord of the Rings movie had come because the last one came out in what two thousand one. Yeah, I mean, they, we had the Hobbit movies that were coming in 2011. Yeah. Or 20, 2011, 2012? I don't remember. I don't know. I, very, so, I, yeah. I remember the Hobbit movies happening, but I don't remember. So at this point, at 2010, <laughs> the Hobbit movies are not out yet. Not out yet. Right, so, for sure, yeah. So you have this game, and it's like, it's for a product, <clears throat> uh, a property that's just kind of lingering along, which is funny because now we've almost as far away from the Hobbit films coming <laughs> out, and yet they're actually going strong on Lord of the Rings stuff again. Yeah. But, uh, we're gearing up for the Amazon show. Yeah, no, very possibly for all we know. <laughs> but yeah, so kit bashing was a thing that was highly, inc- and they still do, but not to the extent that they did before. Yeah. Uh, also 2010 got a new Blood Angels Codex, which I believe introduced <sighs> like the Sanguinor and, uh, Slibrary and Dreadnought and the Dreadnought that had the claw that would just yeah. never stop hitting. That, that just murdered or yeah, blood talent endlessly. And it yeah. just, that was also the beginning of kind of the reign of terror of Blood Angels for a while where you had. Oh, yeah. With the know, assault squads take, with, yeah. that could basically, I can either take jump packs or I can get free, damn near free vehicles. Yes. I mean, this was a period of time where like the release schedule was so spread out yeah still that like kind of flavor of the month and like power creep were still very much like a thing that lasted for months, months. Yes. well and like FAQs might happen once a year yeah, maybe like maybe. I, like I remember I think it was when the gray knights codex came out in 2011 it was like a good solid year before any FAQs for that codex came out. And there was a hey. lot in that codex that needed FAQ. Yep. Yeah. Well, if we jump back to 2010 before we go forward. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Dark um, Eldar got their first update in like forever. In like a decade, yeah. Yeah. It'd been, or at least yeah. since third, like since the early days of yeah. third edition. And, and that was huge for them. I mean, once again, there was tons of characters in there that didn't have models. But you just kind of went with it, made your own, and that's when I remember I started picking up Dark Eldar earnestly, and like we mentioned Ard Boys, I took Dark Eldar to Ard Boys, which is probably why most of my Dark Eldar is still not painted, and I have so much of it. <laughs> well, and and Dark Eldar, for me at least, because like I had kind of been paying attention to Tyranids and had new models, Blood Angels had some new models, but Dark Eldar was that release where it's like, we are updating Almost every model in the line. Yeah, the, the entire you model know, line and, got redone. And quite frankly, to this day, it's still one of the best although, looking models. Although lines. I'd like to point out, they're still not entirely done, and it took until 2019 for them to redo Drazar and Incubi. Sure, sure. Mm, but that, like, but again, that's like, but, fair. but like the dark, the dark Eldar model range is one of the best. Like, I yes. still really like the models. Yeah. Um, they're all dynamic pose, like the plastic, and that was like for me it was where the light kind of went off. Like, oh my god, they. They really do have have upped their model game. They make the best models in this industry. And it's just gotten better throughout the decade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, isn't this also the time when 
fine cast started showing up. Uh, around was, this time, I, I know it was like Necrons had was, a lot of the big. Yeah, the uh, Necrons. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're so we're still another first one. Yeah, we're about another year out from like because we're still seeing like at this point like metal. Right. Yeah, that's right. Because a lot yeah. of my original Grey Knight stuff that I got was in metal. Yeah. So. So yeah, we're not quite to the yeah, fine cast, yeah. but this is also when they are starting to see the cost of white metal going up, and yes. Yeah. Uh, that they're looking for a new solution for that. Uh, so that so yeah, but yeah, Dark Eldar first major army to get a re like a complete relaunch, yeah. a complete new line of models. Nothing, and, and it took them a, a year or two to really get. Like I said, we didn't get like Drazar until just now, but <laughs> most of that line was out within a couple of years. But there were still like you didn't get the flyers that were in that coat. Or did the original Dark Eldar Codex even have the flyers? Those came later. No, those they came later. Gosh, see that's it's gonna it's, it's gonna get confusing. It's hard the, to because there's because yeah, the, the all, all they really had up. was the <laughs> just all the infantry and then the um, raiders, ravagers, and the venoms. Yeah. Okay. So now we move into 2011. Grey Knights got updated, and first time first time it was actually officially a Grey Knights Mitchell. Codex. Before yes. that, it was the Demon Hunters Codex. Yep. Uh, Grey Knights finally become really playable on their own, and my god, they took the community by storm. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. They did. There was... Cybolt ammunition all over Cy- the place. Cybolt <laughs> ammunition everywhere. Cyphelman, Cybolt... Rifleman Dreadnoughts. Yeah, with Cybolt ammo. Cybax. Yeah, Cybax. Woof. Yeah. Paladins. Like, Paladins were huge at the time because, like, yeah. uh, two wound Terminators, like, when most everything in the game was one wound, was huge. Yep. Yeah. No, it was... It, and, like, everything was... had, like, psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And most armies had no way to deal with that. Like, you just didn't yeah. deal with... Psychic powers were just a thing that happened. Yep. Um, yeah, and uh, Grey Knights sat there... For a long time, because yep. again, as you said, Richard, this was a period yeah. where once something was in the once the codex was out, nothing shifted for months. Well, they, they would they were kind of in this pattern where they would maybe do two codexes a year or three, you know, and one would be an update, and one would be like a new model line. So, like Blood Angels and Tyranids came out in 2010, and then you had a wide release for Dark that was like months, where you just had. Month, you know, six, seven, eight weeks of releases, new models each week, new kits each week. And then you'd get a Grey Knights Codex and some new models there. And then the Necron at the end of the year. So, like, there was big times where, like, you would go months of nothing, you know. And I think at this time they were doing the monthly releases or... Yeah, uh, I, th- or, yeah I think they were still... Because I, I know at one point they switched to, like, monthly releases and then they went to weekly releases and kind of back well, and forth a couple of times. Yeah, because yeah. I think here they were still doing the... This is what's coming out this month, mm. so you can like pre-order it. And so when they're bouncing back and forth between fantasy and Lord of the Rings and and 40k, you might go three months between any products being released for 40k. Yeah, you know, and that's just kind of how it went. Like this is a fantasy month. Here's all the fantasy models. This is a Lord of the Rings month. So nobody in North America cares. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, so th- there was these long Don't kind of fallow periods um, where there just wasn't anything out there. The community wasn't being 
monitored by GW. They weren't updating FAQs. They weren't attempting to rebalance things. Because at this point, you know, before the Necrons code, or Dark Eldar and Necrons came out, we were in 5th edition and there were three, four armies that were still on 3rd edition codexes. Yep. And like, a good number of them were still on 4th. Yeah. Like, so, orcs were on 4th edition codexes so, for all of 5th edition. For anybody yes. who's you know, in current 8th edition 40k and, like, everything is getting rules with Psychic Awakening and everybody has a codex. That is a very new thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you would go you would go 5, 10 years between codex updates and there wouldn't be any points rebalances. There wouldn't be any new models. There weren't Wife Dwarf updates. You didn't get anything. Yeah. No, it was, it was a very different time. I mean, this was... And I remember fans being very, like, I think in, like, 2000 nine i want to say was when like planet strike came out oh yeah, yeah, yeah and i remember back in the day listening to oh god which podcast was it? it's not around anymore um 40k radio no not 40k radio it was there, eternal warriors eternal warriors i this eternal warrior and instant death I oh, yeah. completely forgotten about those rules. Yeah. Oh, I remember those I rules because miss, Karn fucking died. I don't miss those rules time. at all. <laughs> well, with all the extra wound models, maybe they'll be bringing back instant death. <laughs> Part of me hopes they do because games are starting to take too long again. But I remember talking. I remember listening to that because that was one of the podcasts I had listened to before I started before we started podcasting, and I remember them going on, and, and I don't think it was unwarranted kind of a bit of a rant about how how come gw is putting out like these new supplemental books like planet strike and yet we don't have faqs to fix some of the glaring issues that some of these armies have and it's like did they not have the bandwidth for it yeah you know and i i I don't know this i don't know anybody that actually works at gw this is all kind of just hearsay and rumor but it does seem like the corporate structure of games workshop has drastically changed multiple times this decade. Yes. So it is entirely possible they didn't have a big enough rules team at the time to do rules, or they were updating their modeling technology, because we know, like, how long did it take the sisters re- revamp to happen? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it is a multiple-year-long process to design and make molds and start casting plastic models. And that process is faster now but back then it was it was a much because like you know we talked about like blood angels well like blood angels got sanguinary guard so i follow darren latham on uh instagram he was like one of their like he he was a an heavy metal painter oh that was something we forgot in news and new releases duncan rose yes yes Uh, quick aside duncan rose is leaving gw he was hoping to keep it a secret until end of the year but apparently uh until boxing day or until boxing day which is which would be yesterday yes it was yesterday but uh yeah he was hoping to keep it a bit secret but it got out and so yes he is moving on to something unknown project greener pastures i I I hope he i hope he continues to make videos because i really enjoy his uh his painting tutorials and you know and his his He's got a good personality for for videos. Yeah, so I know he's helped all four of us paint, and I'm sure he's helped yeah. a bunch of other people. Yeah, learn how to paint and do things. So he'll be missed. But they're still going to keep doing the Warhammer TV stuff. Peachy and I forget the other guy that's now doing videos. But yeah, they're it's like Nick, I think. But they're yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're still going to do videos. Do they're still you know still yeah, that, doing plenty of tutorial things. Yeah, it's just so. it's just it'll be a slightly different crew doing it. Yeah. But 
Uh, but anyway, couldn't anyway. get over contrast because now it's not two thin coats anymore. Yeah, yeah just broke the man. Just broke him. Just broke him. <laughs> and that and Chaos Knights. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's seen the Chaos Knights video will know it yeah. just broke the man. Uh, but anyway, anyway, Darren Latham uh, recently posted a picture of like his three up sculpt of like the Sanguinary Priest, mm-hmm. and back when they actually had to do like large sculpts, and then they would like basically like physically scan them in and like so they mm-hmm. can reduce the size of the model for like casts i mean it's kind of one of these things that we take for granted because we're you know we've been living in the future forever it seems you know with technology and stuff but computer processing power has exponentially grown this decade and, and the tools for 3d sculpting <laughs> mm-hmm. like stuff like zbrush and to, you know th- these were tools that were not r- widely available yeah. at this point so yeah it took a long there was a long lead time like, if you look, and even, like, in recent years, if you look at, like, they'll have the sprue dates on some of these sprues, and the sprue copyright date may be two or three years before mm-hmm. the book yeah. comes out. So, there's, yeah, there's an entire process. But then at this point, it was a much slower process. So, yeah. But, yeah, you would go, like, Grey Knights sat on top for a long time because nothing was there to push them off. Yeah. And the next thing that came out definitely wasn't going to be it, and that was the Sisters of Battle White Dwarf Codex, split amongst three monthly issues of White Dwarf. I don't remember that. Where, like, the yeah. first one was, like, army rules, second one was, like, the actual unit entries, and the third one was, like, missions. And was, yeah. Yeah. It was a, not a great design. <laughs> I, I, it's been, it, it's just now, just now in 2019 that we finally have a really functional, good Sisters Codex. Well, some people do. Well, anybody who got the army box. <laughs> right. Uh, it'll be no, 2020 no, the, before we actually get the codex. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, I've, yeah. I've got the codex. What are you talking about? I've, technically, I have it too. Yeah. See, the, the, the book exists. So <laughs> yes, we have yes, it. Yeah, it yeah. is now the. It's not widely yet available, but it will but be. But it shortly. is still, it does exist. <laughs> as much as that vexes me, even though I have the book, it vexes me from a release mm-hmm. standpoint. Like, you could just make the book available separately and let people pick up the model line in a month. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. But yeah, Sisters of Battle finally finally got updated from just like Grey Knights, they had been sitting with a third edition Witch Hunters Codex yep. for a decade or more. Well, and they basically did it they didn't change anything. They basically just were like, We took all of the Inquisitors that were in the Witch Hunters book and put them in Grey Knights, so we didn't want to have duplicate army entries. Right. It yeah. was really just a maintenance release. Yeah, which it's frustrating. I mean, I think they did a slightly di- they did different active faith rules, but <laughs> So it wasn't just a maintenance release, but it was primarily well, for sure. that I mean, purpose. They, yeah. they change Acts of Faith every time they update that yes. book because that's like the one thing they have. They finally got it right. They finally did. I like uh, it. But, uh, and they gave them other systems that help. Yeah. Uh, Finecast was released on May 16th, 2011. So this is the, so so 2011. This is right around the time as well. Yeah. All right. Well, which makes sense because the next codex is Necrons. <laughs> Necrons. And, and liquid, was... liquid Green stuff came out about six months after that. Can't imagine why. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sure those two things are not related. Not at all. Not at all. No. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, Necrons. This codex was very controversial. Not so much because of the the rules, although the rules were quite good. Necrons were kind of scary because they were also the first army to have flyers. Yes. Although at the time they weren't flyers, they were fast skimmers. Right. They, I mean, yeah. Actually, didn't the storm... Well, Grey Knights, I guess the, Grey Knights and did they have Blood the, Angels? Grey Knights and Blood Angels the, both had the, the, the Storm Raven. Storm Raven. Storm Raven, Storm Raven which yes. was basically a fast skimmer transport yeah. at yeah. this point. Well, and then the I think the Valkyrie and Vendetta had been out for a little while. Oh, yeah. Or the Valkyrie, at least. 
I think the Vendetta is the four year old one. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But they were they were the first one to get a new to start getting, and they were also the first, like stuff. they had the supersonic full like yes. they, yeah that was you know one of the first yeah. things where they like they could move stupid fast. But the uh, the big thing about the Necron Codex was the, was uh, the, the reign of Matt Ward. Yeah. So <laughs> I, okay, yeah. I think. Oh, I think Matt Ward has been unfairly maligned. I probably, yeah, yeah, I think so too. Because also, I think if you look at like the main reason people did not like the Necron Codex was because it did completely retcon third edition Necron fluff. Sure, but third edition Necron fluff was kind of trash. So. It, well, most <laughs> thing is like most old, like it really hasn't been until recent years that. 40k storyline material has kind of crystallized because like older with the possible exception of well no definite with the definite exception of dan abnett like the gaunt's ghost books and such like that a lot of the old black library novels are pretty trash too they're they're just not they're not great they're not necessarily terrible but there's a lot of just stuff in there that doesn't seem to fit like compared to newer stuff Mm -hmm. so the story, like the old fluff, was very f- fluid. <laughs> yes, and this was the, this was a reimagining because people who liked Necrons liked them because they were robot space zombies. They were just yep. implacable waves of robot space zombies with a couple of star gods pushing them around, and that was about that was about it. You know, yeah. that, of course, they also didn't like the fact that oh, you killed enough of them, and I just auto lose. Yes, those old, the old third edition rules suck. were terrible. Yes, <laughs> so. Uh, but that was a very fluffy rule. It was a it, it very was. fluffy rule, but it basically. But it was not. Fu- it it wasn't fun to win that way. No, and it it also meant every game against Necrons just basically became. I'm going to kill. I need to kill as much of you as I can to get you down to what, like 25. Yeah. percent Yeah. So you didn't have to table them. You had to table 75 uh, of, percent of, the, them. of of units that were Necrons. So if they spent yeah. points on. On Satan or, or or their not like the monolith the monoliths, those points didn't count. Sure. So that just made your percentage made of Necrons that you had to kill less. Yep. Yeah, it it was a bad design. It was a yeah. bad design because it encourages it encourages you to not play the game to just focus on killing. And and the old design before Necrons and I and I admit that I didn't really like the fluff changes at the time. And there's probably audio recordings of me saying I didn't like it at the time. Right. Um, don't check the tape. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the old fluff was boring and the new Necron dynasty stuff with making them, you know, space Egyptians and stuff like that means that there's a lot more to like a lot more different play styles, a lot more fluff, a lot more just to the army rather than them just being space terminators. And the, and the ability to like actually have characters. Yes. Yes. Necrons have some great characters. Yeah. Like they, so. I, well, and it, at the time, we already had one army that really didn't have much in the way of character and was just an implacable foe that had to be, def- you know, that would just slowly cr- march over you. And, and except we had one that was fleshy with Tyranids and then we had one that was metal mm-hmm. with ne- right. Necrons. Yeah. The Matt Ward Necron Codex gave Necrons, and yes, it was basically metal Tomb Kings, but. Sure. But at the same time, it did. It gave them character. It gave them personality. It gave them a way to make interesting things and tell interesting stories and opened up a whole new sense of like, hey, look at all the different color palettes. You can paint Necrons because you can have different different dynasties and different tomb worlds all 
with their own like their own crazy lord or their own way of like decorating their their bodies. You mean I have to do something beyond just spray paint them silver? Well, you didn't have to because that was still <laughs> you could supported. still do that. No, I know. I mean, or you, you could you do could day just, glow yellow. What I what I love about what I love about that is that since that was the same year as Grey Knights, there were so many cans of silver silver primer sold that year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, you could still run your old, like, just space zombie, uh, you know, robot army because you could just say, well, their leader hasn't, like, woken up yet or anything. Yeah. Like, their programming programming hasn't up, you know, they haven't connected to the Wi Fi yet. Yeah. They don't have a patch. So yeah, it's like you, there was so much you could do and they were, they became a very interesting army and they quickly became a very broken army because in 2012, we got sixth edition and they became flat, like honest to goodness flyers. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing with that, cause Necrons came out, I think in like November or something yeah. like that. And then we were like, okay, the cadences, we get a March army and like a November army. And then March rolled around and there was nothing. So we're like, uh, what's going on? And like, sixth edition didn't come out until May. Yeah. So it was like, wasn't that whoa. around the time that we got the pancake leak? The yes. fake, the fake sixth edition yes. leak? Yeah. That I we, we devoted so. an yeah. episode to reading through. So yeah, so we, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Also, we forgot <laughs> 2011 is when we started recording the show. So yep. that's what that's, some people did. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Yo, I was there on episode, <laughs> I was there on episode zero of under discussion. Yeah. See? Yep. Which is, yeah, kind of the proto, because that's when we announced yeah. Preferred Enemies was coming. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so then May 2012 rolls, al- rolls around and 6th edition comes out. And it was it was a big change. It had a lot of changes to the game, but was still pretty much compatible with Pat. There was a number of armies that still had 4th and 5th edition codexes, obviously. Yeah. Very, you know, when you're only updating 2 or 3 a year. Uh, you know, not a lot is happening. Uh, so sixth edition, some of the things that uh, it brought us, uh, and I made some notes here. Yep. Flyers, obviously the big thing. Yes. And fly, and along with flyers, I'm going to say fortifications because that's when everyone had to run Aegis defense lines. Oh yep. yeah. Because most armies, unless you had a flyer, you had no way to deal with flyers because flyers could only be hit on sixes. Mm-hmm. I do not miss those days at all. Yeah. Flyers are bad <laughs> enough right now when you have to hit them at minus one all the yeah. time. This is this was that this had nothing on that. Um, uh, they changed up uh, how glancing and penetrating hits worked a little bit because in fifth edition you could glance lock a vehicle yes. just by like just stunning them to keep them from shooting. Like they could move, but you could generally keep them from either moving and or at least shooting. Right, but yeah. then. It also was really hard to like actually kill vehicles in fifth edition. Unless you had something like a melt gun. Had something very specific to geared towards uh killing them. And I played orcs and tyranids at the time. (laughs) And yeah. No, they didn't have those things. No, they didn't at all. At all. (laughs) So like vehicles like you know my my tyranids wanna eat, you know little space marines and they're hiding in little boxes that i can't open up yep yeah 
and they got no reason to come out of those boxes. Yeah. And especially when everyone's bringing like Razorback spam and just yeah. like, I will shoot you from inside the boxes and you will not touch the boxes. Well, yeah, because like, well, again, you know, Cy, Cyfilm, you know, Cybax and stuff like that. Where yeah. You just had this awesome Cybolt ammunition. It's like, yeah, why would I, you know, you, you bought a, an assault squad for Blood Angels to get a Razorback. You didn't buy it for the assault squad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> When I remember, I as Eldar, I was trying to just stun lock vehicles because, mm-hmm. other than my fire prism, I didn't have much that could yep. handle them either. Other than just stun lock it to death, or not to death, stun lock it, so I don't have to worry about it, and then hope I can kill the other things before I run out of things to stun it with. Yep. Yeah. So sixth edition brought the change that every glancing hit did a hull point. So yeah. we, so sixth edition added hull. And that, that, that was, sixth edition was the first game that I won with my Tau because Tau shooting became awesome against vehicles because you could just nickel and dime them to death with buckets and buckets of dice. And in so. fact, I brought the, uh, something that's a bit of a lost art, <laughs> tiny rule books oh. from fifth, sixth, and seventh edition. Yay. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, back oh, when, tiny. yeah, when sixth edition had brought, uh, whole points to vehicles so that vehicles were easier to kill. Uh, other things that 6th edition brought warlord traits the idea of your army having a warlord yeah and at the time like nobody had their own chart you just had like what the the like the six that were in the the rule book 6th was also when we got uh detachments wasn't it uh yes because we well you got allies Yes. And so you got the right. allied so detachment. You got the allied detachment. Yeah. So you, this is kind of the first time that you had the ability to take stuff outside of the standard rigid force work chart. Right. And then as codexes started coming out. Then you started getting. Then, then yeah. like there was the different. There was actually different detachments mm-hmm. that specific armies would get. Yeah. Uh, that would be a little different than your standard force work chart. Right. Yeah. We also got uh, rules that were rolled in from. Things like Planet Strike and Stronghold Assault and such. So we had like we had uh, building rules inside the main codex. Um, we had like so we had Warlord traits. Oh yeah, three charts for Warlord traits. Yes, where you had like uh, your command traits, your personal traits, your strategic traits, and you'd just roll on. And it was always random. You couldn't you you could choose which table you rolled on, but you couldn't choose which one you got. Yeah, yeah. and then. Oh, God, the Allies chart. Yes, that's Ooh, the biggest wow. thing I thought that the time changed the game. It did. Well, I played Tyranids, so no. So no, it didn't. <laughs> so no, it didn't. <laughs> sure it did. Now, instead of just seeing one army on the other side of the board, Richard, you saw two. Well, yeah. I, it gave me something to do with my uh, with my Black Reach Space Marines. Yeah. Uh, Rob, my Rob dabbled into Eldar this time. Oh, yeah, because uh, Eldar and... Uh, Eldar and Tau were battle brothers, so I could just combine them with impunity. I will say this: I think the allies chart was the beginning of my, or no, uh, that, or maybe they were no, they, they were, were battle brothers. They, they, they were, were battle brothers. They were yeah. battle brothers, just it, like Space Marines and Tau were battle brothers. Yes. It uh, this was the this was the beginning of my ooh, I can get a small force of this army to play with this, and I swear I'm not going to buy any more. I'll just buy a small detachment, and this won't explode into a full army. How'd that work for Aww. you? Uh, <laughs> don't worry, Kevin. I think I have you beat now, we've determined. But yeah, the the Allies chart was was weird. It, and yeah. It was gigantic. It, it was had cumbersome. Like it was not Desperate Allies and, and Come the Apocalypse Allies were just, it was just like, 
No, wow. these are not things. Yeah, but it, it was the first time people got to like yeah. merge armies together, and you saw so much strategy. Not, not the first time, though. If you go Ooh. back to older codexes, like second edition codexes, like mm. we'll say, like oh yeah, if you're playing chaos, you can bring in so many points worth of yeah. orcs. Uh, okay, well, third edition Inquisition code, like any of the Inquisition codexes, would let you bring in Space <coughs> Marines or Imperial Guard. Well, on the right. greatest so, and the greatest codex of all time, the Chaos three three point codex. Sorry, um, just have to say it. To be um, fair, well, could, could bring in gar- guards and stuff like that. But yeah, go on. Yeah. To be fair, we really didn't really start been getting back into the game till fourth fifth. So it had yeah. been fifth a long was time kind of yeah. F- Allies are pretty much gone in in most of third, fourth, and fifth edition. So it was a huge so- shock to the system and. The problem with it was that it just wasn't balanced because you could bring a lot of things to bear together that didn't really make a lot of sense. And then there were armies like Tyrannus that couldn't do anything. And it just, it was, yeah. Here's something. GW at this point did not care about balance is what we're getting at. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. And here's something I I wonder if any of you remember. Mysterious objective. Oh no, I remember those <laughs> because I remember getting the uh, the explodey sabotage. No, the, the um, special dice. The special dice to do that, and then yeah, getting the dice, and then having to always look up in the rulebook what the symbols meant on the dice because <laughs> then they changed in seventh edition and they kept they changed the symbols around and what they meant, but it was the same symbols and. So that way you didn't have to buy new dice. No, they were. I thought they were neat, but they were stupid. (laughs) It was poorly implemented, I think. Okay, poorly implemented, but I I I did like them because they were super fun, and that's actually something that I would like to see added back for like. If you have to look uh, at a chart, you might as well just use numbers. Yes, exactly. And it Um, was, uh, yeah, it's half the time it was half the time it was absolutely useless. It didn't matter, and the other half the time it was sabotaged. There was a couple of times where I was able to get like a, the, the uh, grav one was the, handy. Uh, yeah, I was able to get a Skyfire Nexus or something. Oh like that. yeah, that, that one was useful. Yeah, yeah. And we, then I could we then would I could fight shoot, over those. I could shoot down flyers with my pulse uh, if, pulse rifles. If someone my, got a Skyfire, we would. I would send people over <laughs> there to try and take it. Absolutely. Right. Or yeah, it's like some some one person on one side would get like the grav generators and the and the Skyfire Nexus, and then the other side would get sabotaged. Yes. <laughs> It's like, yay, this game is fair. Well, and, and also it's like at the time, all of the all of the missions were static object you know, were, were, yeah. were end of game scoring. There were missions where you would get more points for holding your objectives or holding the opponent's objectives. And there are times where it's like, I don't want to go hold that objective because that objective is sabotage. I don't but that's how I'm gonna win the game. And it's like it it did create some interesting tactical stuff. Right. But yeah. it would have been more interesting if they had done what they did later with like Cumulative scoring and maelstrom and some of that yeah. other stuff, but this is also the edition that gave us like the six missions that we were used to: Crusade, Relic, Emperor's mm-hmm. Will, Big Guns Never Tire, stuff like that. It's also the edition that gave us Vanguard Strike, which everyone yeah. hated until we finally figured out what the math on it was. Uh, still, Th- hate it's it. <laughs> still not our favorite. Still not our favorite. I, I actually don't mind. I don't it. mind it. now that like because the the main pain in the ass was. Okay, well, it's 12 inches, but it's 12 inches from the center diagonal line. It's not 12 inches from the table corners. So Yeah, or or I especially like the 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 game mats that like mm-hmm. put like rows of like trash yes. mm-hmm. to where the deployment lines would be for those diagonals. Those are nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see other things that became a thing in this edition chariots. In 40k, oh, yeah. there was a chariots yeah. in 40k. Um, they're still bad. There's don't miss that. No mm. challenges. 
Oh my character god, I hated challenge. character challenge. That was kind of fun, though. But it, it was badly. It was well, clunky, but it added a, a little narrative to the game. As a chaos player, I hated it because I always had to do challenges. I always had to issue challenges because that was like, because chaos is the honorable ones. Um, <laughs> so, like, they're the aggressive ones. But the problem is, is that being in a challenge, like, so if Karn charged into a unit and there was a character there, Karn would slaughter that character and then all the rest of his attacks would go to waste because I had to challenge him. Right. And it's like, that's eh, dumb. I'd rather kill no, him. Unless, <laughs> unless he had to challenge someone who had a higher initiative than him. Or then, he'd just get, then he would just get killed before he swung. Exactly. Friggin' Eldar. Back when initiative was still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Friggin' Eldar. Yes, um, that, that I'm talking about me. No, it's... Yeah, I, I don't miss challenges, because at this time I was playing either my corn army, which I had to be locked into challenges even if I didn't want to be, or I was playing Tau, where if I got into melee, I lost the game anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, another big thing that 6th edition changed, that it, they reworked psychics. Yes, yes. Quite a bit. Not and then did it even more so in yeah, seven. But yeah, didn't yes. add the psychic phase for that this was, one. Yeah, that was that was that's right. This was still like you used the powers when they were there, but oh, yeah. this introduced like the generic yes, psychic, psychic disciplines that everybody had access yeah. to. Yeah, and until they decided summoning? not. Yeah, is this is this where summoning came in? Those are some off the generic ones, right? Uh, summoning was like a generic one. Yeah, they added, okay. they added in seventh, I believe. Okay, but, I can't remember. Uh, if it was sixth six edition seven. had okay. biomancy, divination, pyromancy, telekinesis, and everyone's favorite telepathy because of invisibility. Right, fucking invisibility, invisibility, <laughs> and but it did also have like. Like, there was the chart of certain factions had access to certain yeah, disciplines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you could only get access to certain ones if you took certain. And yeah. Tyranids with Biomancy were pretty awesome. Yeah. See, they didn't need allies. They got the best, one of the better psychic disciplines. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best. It was. Well, they also had access to. Oh, yeah. Did they have access to it as well? Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. But no, uh, I believe so. It reworked a lot of the the. It reworked that, and I liked the changes to psychics. My big issue with psychic powers right now is still that like not everybody has access to good like psychic defense. Well, what is also but frustrating is. is that th this was where it was randomly generated psychic yes. powers. Yeah. So you, yeah, you could pick. Oh yeah, I'm going to use biomancy. I have no idea what I'm going to get. Am I going to get life leech or am I going to get iron arm? Am I going to get warp speed or hemorrhage? You know, am I going to get endurance? Mm. If you have enough psychers, you had a good chance to get what you wanted, though. Yeah, yes. but it was it. And this is also when they started doing the warp charge thing. In this case, it was psychers had yeah. so many, they could basically have their mastery level in powers that they could cast that or spend right. and you, in warp right. charges. Most of them were one or two, and but it was still just a leadership test. You and generated you, warp charges by rolling a d6. That was well, later. Was that, that was later. Okay. That was later. Okay. No, your mass basically. You can tell I play a lot of psychic armies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Psyker automatically generates his full allocation of warp charge points at the start of each turn. No need to do okay. anything. It happens automatically. 
but then you keep track of it because psychic powers didn't all happen at the same time. Yes. Different powers yeah. were in different some were movements. Some were, the the start movement, of the movement, some were yeah. during the shooting phase, some were during the assault phase. Yeah, because phase, some like, were basically like, well, this is a shooting attack, except it's a psychic shooting attack, yeah. so you have to do the psychic power first. And Yeah. Which meant if you didn't have a ballistic skill, like a lot of uh, tier, like Tyranids, <laughs> like gene stealers and such, uh, yeah, you couldn't couldn't actually <laughs> cast. Or it's like, you, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you can cast this, but it'll automatically miss. Yeah. Yep. Um, Which was something they did finally FAQ. Yes. Because I remember that was like a question for like a year before they FAQ'd it. Oh, right. <laughs> what happens if you have zero ballistic skill? You just miss. So, 6th yeah. edition, like, it was, it brought some massive updates to the game, but the game still primarily played the way it had before. Yeah. Uh, I just, there were some, there were a number of revisions here and there, but there were definitely some big changes. Uh, that's also the year that, to celebrate 6th edition, we got the Dark Vengeance box, which you can now buy the models from for one week only separately. So, consider those, are, those models were first released seven years, seven, seven and a half years ago. And up until, this year they were still some of the best chaos models like yes. the you know yeah. the the chosen models in there i still use they're very good models the the chaos hellbrute being like the first time we'd seen a new, like a new non-metal chaos dreadnought mm-hmm. um yeah the cultists are still like you know the kind of the de facto standard cultists now. yeah um and also we got one codex that year and it was chaos space marines yes uh, I believe the Chaos Space Marines is when I took over as from John as host. Yes, because this would have been about. Think, two, yeah, no, this would have been about yeah. uh, 2011, 2012. Yeah, so it would have been about uh, just about two years. Yeah. In. So actually, actually, I think I came on like did the Chaos Space Marine review as a guest, and then I then then I came on like shortly thereafter. Yeah, as as permanent, but. Yeah, because yeah. at this point I had sold you my corn. That's true. My corn well, that was back in fifth edition because I'd gotten tired of losing everything. Well, like I said, at, the, yeah, at this yeah. point I had sent that to, given that to you, and so you were kind of had kind of mm-hmm. like adopted chaos, like fourth edition Chaos Space Marines. Yeah. So. Yeah, because they definitely didn't get a codex in fifth. They were yeah. one of the armies that had to sit. So this was like them getting an update in sixth. This was a like years coming. Yeah, it had, it would been like two thousand seven or two thousand eight since the last time they'd had and an update. And people so, yeah. were generally not terribly happy with the Chaos Space Marine codex, as is always the case with Chaos Space Marines. Well, especially but like, <laughs> and I admit so, that as a Chaos Space so, Marine player, I'm never happy. So the fourth edition <laughs> codex was considered a downgrade from the three five one because the three five one was broken as shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fourth edition one had stuff like the Pavane of Slanesh, which would let you take control or lash of what, la- the lash, yeah, the yeah. lash, the lash of uh, lash of submission, right, right, yeah. which would let you basically take over somebody's unit, which was and, super cool. <laughs> um, but uh, this or this version did not have any of that, and it had the you had to t- you had to accept challenges. Mm-hmm. You, if you want a challenge, you might lose your character anyway from, like, if they got Chaos spawned. It just, yeah. like, there was a lot of just... Yeah, it, it added... So, September 2007 was the previous Marine Chaos Marine Codex. So, five years so, later. So, well, the big thing that had happened in between this, and I think we talked about it on the episode, is the Horace Heresy novels, like, started coming out and became a thing. Yeah. So, like, fleshing out the Legion backstory for Chaos Space Marines had finally been a thing. And, like, all of the Legions had their own personalities now. And of course, they didn't actually implement any of that into this book. But, um, and I think that was kind of my di- biggest disappointment was that they, they didn't have tactics or they didn't have, you know, like anything that made corn really play different than Slanesh other than like the rules for like marks, you know, having minor impacts there. But you always took Mark of Nurgle if you could because toughness was awesome. Um, 
so yeah, was, I remember it being in kind of an underwhelming book, even by the standards of underwhelming Chaos Space Marine yeah. releases. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, 2013 rolled around. So again, we still weren't on that rapid, we were still kind of on that old scale, like, mm-hmm. okay, well, armies are just adjusting, which is also why Necrons were stupid good, because they had flyers because they had updated, like, they had come out with, like, a an update that said these are considered yes. fly Like, yeah. these few armies that have flying units were considered flyers. So, suddenly, like, Cron Air was... Was a thing. Was the thing. And that was the thing you had to beat, which is why you took an Aegis Defense line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 2013 had Dark Angels. And then Death from the Skies. Oh, when they tried to make flyers a thing. Like, yeah, but the uh, nice thing about Death from the Skies is they tried to give every faction a flyer. Yeah. And then they, well, and they also tried work. to give like Tyranids <laughs> quasi flyers that were not really flyers. Yeah. They, they leaned on Forge World a bit for some of that, which oh, was. Oh, yeah. And let's not was, forget the Chaos Space Marine Codex did have one thing that was broken as oh, hell. Oh, that's and the right. Hell Drake. The Hell Drake. The Hell Turkey. Yeah, people just, hated the Heldrake because of the Bale Flamer, because you could just fly by. Or, or loved them. Ah, yeah, I love that Because the thing is, you could fly by, and then you times. have, like, <laughs> monstrous creatures had the one, like, the 360 no scope firing that nobody else, that all, no other vehicles had. Yeah. yeah. And so they could, like, you could put the, uh, the torrent flame turret, or, you know, flamer yeah, template out your ass if you wanted Because it was to. technically a flying monstrous creature. It, like, was, it was. It was, it was so dumb. That yeah. was so dumb. <laughs> like, it had all the advantages of a flyer, but none of the downsides. <laughs> Oh, good old hell journey. Yep. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so, yeah, then 2013 also saw... This is when we started seeing codexes coming yeah. in. Because when they actually started really pushing for 6th edition to get everybody updated, yeah. Tau Empire... Or Chaos Demons, w- which finally got rid of the, I have to split my oh, army in two, oh and... and, and when it, that out of the Warp Storm table, too, which yes, was a huge, did. big thing, which... Was a pain in the ass. Was a pain in the ass to track. It would. It was, but I treated that. That was my shooting face. Yeah, that's that's true. Since you didn't have anything else to shoot, <laughs> right? I still yeah. don't. Yeah, and that's when we start. They also started doing like plastic releases for all the basic. Like we got the new demonettes, new blood mm-hmm. blood letters, new uh, plague bears, new. Uh, Seekers, yeah. seekers, yeah. It's like I uh, got the soul grinders. That's when Didn't they got the greater couple... demons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's when they got a couple of the chariots too, right? The, yes. the slanesh yes. chariot and the corn chariot, and they're yeah. still bad. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Wow, the corn chariot's that old. Yeah, the skull wow. cannon, and yeah, the, the derp throne. Yeah, the derp. The, yeah, the derp. <laughs> that's throne. right. Yep. I still don't think I've ever used one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've used my chariots. Yeah, but mine are bad. <laughs> so, and then we got, uh, yeah, we got Tau Empire, which start, introduced the Riptide. <laughs> Started the, sca- the, 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 um, scale wars for monstrous creatures. Yes. The, the, si- the size when, wars. <laughs> and it's also when Tau got their first flyers. Yeah. Which are still which are garbage. Still garbage. Yeah. Uh, but Riptide was amazing, though. Yeah. Like it, yeah. The rip and and that was also when you started getting things like, and we mentioned a little bit with some of the others like Dark Angels and Chaos Space Marines had their own like kind of pseudo detachments, but like Tau Empire also had, like they started giving like kind of army uh, special army wide rules. Yeah, and like Chaos Space Marines got the one that basically gave them the uh, uh, blood not blood tide table. Um, the the D sixty six Chaos Moon table. Yeah, D sixty six Chaos Moon table that was awful. And then, you know, Chaos Demons got the Warped Storm table, which was hard to remember. Tau got Supporting Fire, which completely changed how that army played and made yeah. them 
and like to this day, like that's still a core of what that army does. Yeah, and uh, that's also everybody started like they had an FAQ rule that said, well, if you have a relic, you could if your if your army had relics that you could only have one per army. Yeah, or one per character. And Tau had support systems, which weren't considered relics, so you could have all, all of them. The, all of them. All of the support systems. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Uh, then we saw, see, we had Eldar come next in uh, 2013. The biggest change was the Flyers. Flyers yeah, and the Wraith, the Wraith Knight. Yeah, the Wraith Knight, which was still considered just a heavy support at this point. Right. And it was, yeah, it was, it which made Wraith Lords obsolete and that still hasn't changed much and is there i don't think wraith lords are obsolete now as much as they're kind of better than wraith knights in the current meta but wraith knights are obsolete now so yeah. is this where they got the new updated bikes yes because i remember because i remember scatter the, like, bikes you, you oh, also yes. started getting scat bikes were a thing and then um the new the- models for the the far not Farside Enclave, the Warlock Conclave, whatever yeah. on bikes, and they got they, they, a little bit later. Uh, yeah, I think all the jet bike ones came okay. later. Maybe it was okay. Maybe scatter it was bikes, scat def- bikes were a big thing. Yeah, were definitely a thing. Um, then we got the Apocalypse, which introduced uh, the D weapon into <laughs> the game. Give them the D. Oh God! And for, which you know, D weapons were something like this is just this is an Apocalypse thing. This is. And, and granted, like we'd had Apocalypse before that, like sure. there, there had been like there had been like a two thousand eight, yeah. two thousand nine version of Apocalypse. This was the sixth edition of Apocalypse, which this when they added the first, like the con. Well, we'd already had the concept of like Apocalypse formations. Mm-hmm. Uh, this just brought it into sixth edition, kind of updated the rules for it. Gave uh, like the 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 started giving you like the munition supplies and stuff and yeah, kind like of the, what would become like stratagems and right. some of the card yeah. stuff in later editions. Yeah, I remember the 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 black kind of octagonal cut mm-hmm. cards. I still have my. I think still I still have, have mine my somewhere. Deck. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also where we got the. And granted, we'd had the uh, Bane Blade as that came out during the previous APOC stuff. Yeah, this is where we got the uh, Lord of Lord of Skulls. Yes. Uh, this is also, and then not long after that, we does. got Escalation, <laughs> which was, what if you wanted to use one of these Lords of War Apocalypse models in standard 40k? And that was a very controversial move because uh, we had, a, you know, it's like people are like, well, no, 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 no Escalation here. We only play classic 40k. We don't allow Lords of War, which for the most part was fine. Everyone was mostly cool with this, although... As, you know, I remember playing games at Pulp Fiction with like somebody who brought like a Revenant <laughs> Titan uh, with the D weapon template. It's just like ah, this is just yeah. It, it's like it wasn't fun. <laughs> it was not fun. Escalation was this time not right even. here. I think sixth edition and like the spot after with Escalation was the high point of Paper Rock Scissors 40k. Where you could just set your army down on a table and look at your opponent and go, oh, this game will be over in 10 minutes. See, and I also view it as this is them testing the waters sure. for ideas they have that have come to pass. No, absolutely. Like, it's it's one of those where it kind of was a necessary growing phase. But this is, I kind of view this era as, like, kind of the low point in, in the decade because... Games were not fun. There were a lot of times you could just set an army on a table, look at your opponent, and go, I'm going to lose. And there's no way I, there, I can do nothing to win this game. This is also around the time. I think the extermin, the, the, when we refer to the Australian exterminatus, this is when GW cracked down on online vendors yep. and especially vendors in Australia 
because of the 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 huge price discrepancy mm-hmm. between the Australian dollar and Australian prices, and which is something that continues to this day. But uh, although I think they've relaxed, maybe a little bit, a little bit, point. but but yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is also the height of the the Tom Kirby era of GW yes. when it was like we aren't a games company, we are a bespoke model company that just happens to sell gaming yeah. books that our models can be used with. Um, this was also right around the time, that, and, and I think the Chapter House stuff came to a head in 2014. But this is when you had the kind of the height of these third party vendors that were releasing models that GW didn't have rules for yeah, or did have was, rules for but didn't have or models did, did have rules for but didn't have models for so you started getting a lot of these would show up and like independent events um started relaxing their their rules on these cuz like Ard Boys was a th- was done at this point so you and I don't know exactly when ITC started coming about but this is I think right around the time that that started so you started to kind of have the rise of like independent circuits and independent modelers, and that did would eventually come to a head in 2014 with the Chapter House stuff. Yes, right. Because you'll notice in 2014, yeah, you have Tyranid release. Yep, yeah, and that was kind of a forced thing because they wanted to get those models out. Yeah, so that they had a claim on those models as opposed to Chapter House. Yeah. Um, also, 2013, 2013 is also the year we started seeing army supplements. Yes. Cyandon for Eldar. We saw Farsight Enclaves for uh, Tau. We saw Black Legion for Chaos Space Marines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Sentinels of Terra and Clan Recon for Space Marines, which Space Marines finally got a 6th yeah. edition codex uh, in 2013. Uh, and then uh, we got Stronghold Assault, which is basically kind of brought up all the format all the fortification rules which that's actually something else that you know we mentioned fortifications were a thing you could take in sixth edition this finally like updated all of them i think this is also had the rules for the uh void shield generator yes. which was a yeah. huge tournament piece Still around this limited time. edition model which i'm really glad that went away yeah. <laughs> um and then at the end of 2013, we got our first digital codexes. We got the 6th edition Sisters of Battle and Inquisition codexes. I'll also point out, in the middle of 2013 was the last games day yeah. that yes. we went to. It was the, the last, last, US, the last games US Games Day, which was not advertised as such at the time. It was yeah. just Games Day 2013. I'm really glad we went to it. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I am sad that... GW has not done anything themselves, but I am glad that in in their absence, they have when the, as they've returned, they've basically treated LVO, Nova Open, Adepticon as mm. basically games days, pretty much. And I, I kind of like that because it, it makes it feel like they're incorporating into the thing rather than just saying, "Hey, here's ours." Yeah, go to the others, but make sure you come yeah. to ours. Yeah, but as you said, this is kind of getting to be the the low point, 2013, 2014, the low point of the decade as far as feeling like GW really gave a damn about it. <laughs> but on, on the flip side of that, what I will say is I think the, the kind of hidden gem in this release period was that Space Marines Codex, because that's when you got like the chapter tactics. Yes. And you had like individual rules to play. You got individual rules to play Ultramarines or Iron Hands or, you know, Crimson Fist or something like that. And it really made the armies play, fl- you know, play to the fluff. Yeah. As, whereas before, it's like in the fifth edition Space Marine Army, if you painted them blue, you could call them Ultramarines, but they played no differently than, you know, if I painted them green and called them Salamanders. Right. 
Um, so I, I just thought like, that was... Which character, like, you take a yeah. special character and that unlocks something. Yeah, so this was the beginning of them, I think, kind of realizing what they could do with this, what they could do with, uh, um, with codexes to kind of tailor the army and get, make the armies more fluffy and unique and individual. So that is kind of a hidden gem in there. I don't think it was, I don't think they fully realized it until the seventh edition Space Marine Codex, but this was kind of the beginning of them realizing that we can have an army that plays four or five, six different ways all in one codex. Yes. I, if I remember correctly, this was also a period of time in which they really cracked down on leaks. Yes. Yes. And like, wouldn't tell us what's coming out until like a week before it hit. Well, I believe this was right around the time because this is also kind of the low point. This is when when White Dwarf went to like a weekly magazine. It was like the weekly pamphlet. Oh, right. And you didn't get any notification until that White Dwarf came out. What was coming out next week? Right. So, you know, this is where like um, and they like, turned off their Facebook page. They turned off their Facebook page. <laughs> they withdrew the internet. This is where like websites like Fate. Uh, 212 like became a big thing. Bell of yeah. Lost Souls became a big rumor monger site at this time because you because you couldn't get it anywhere wanted, else. Yeah, people yeah. wanted the feedback. They wanted the information, but it just wasn't. They weren't yeah. forthcoming with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is uh, yeah, th- not a great time. I mean, it there was a lot of stuff coming out, uh, but not not necessarily the easiest time to be a, a Games Workshop fan. Yeah, around this time. Well, and and I think. As, as we'll get to in 2014, the flaws of sixth edition, which was kind of a pseudo half measure, were, were standing out. The, and the like, cracks were really The cracks sure. were starting to show. Um, and they needed to do a seventh edition very quickly the next year to, to, which, to which surprised us that they, but still that they would release a new edition of the game with sixth edition only, be, like not even fully being two years old. Yeah, exactly. Um, which also with lead time means they were working on seventh edition pretty much once sixth edition was out the door. You uh, yeah, know they which, had to. yeah. So not a good sign. <laughs> so the last year we're going to cover for this first port portion of the show, 2014. So the Tyranid uh, copyright protection codex. Yes. Came out. <laughs> yes. Uh, another uh, cr- another controversial move. Imperial Guard no more. You shall be henceforth known as the Aster Militarum because we can copyright that. Yeah. Yes. Well, and and I know that uh, the the Tyranids Codex got a lot of shit the other way from Matt Ward. Oh yeah. Because Robin Crudus yeah kind of got maligned for really making what felt like underpowered codexes. Yes, and so this is around the time that uh, pretty much once 7th edition started, author names got stripped from codexes. It just was so much flack. It was just the Games Workshop Rules team. Rules team. Rule, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause think... guard was a guard with, you know, Astro Militarum was a Crudus Codex, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah. yeah. Nids were Crudus Codex. We got the Crimson Slaughter supplement, which yeah. no one really asked for, but it was it, because it was tied into the Dark Vengeance army. Yeah. It really frustrated me because it was like, why are they doing a supplement for a, a made up chaos chapter when you've got all of these legions that don't have any rules? And again, like, I kind of pointed out the Space Prince Codex being a really good example. It was especially for me as a Chaos player, hey, we have our Codex, and the only thing that's unique is Marks, and if you played 
Black Legion or World Eaters, you had no difference. Six months later, Space Marine Codex comes out. That's like, hey, this is all the fluff in it. And I'm like, mm. so they did. So they released a supplement that was, look at all the fluff and all the backstory for this made up chapter that nobody's played before. Like, nobody mm. cares about. It. Yeah. And then <laughs> another big thing, Imperial yeah. Knights, the sixth edition Imperial Knights Codex hit. And oh my God. I mean, this that was changed a lot. Yeah. Because suddenly, Lords of War were no longer just something from Escalation. This was now an entire army just of Lords of War. Yeah. And, and you, it couldn't, you almost, couldn't ignore it. And it almost, yeah, it almost felt like GW was forcing the issue. It was like, we really want Lords of War in here? Here, we're giving you a book that now you're going to want to have the Lords yeah. of War in there. Then, and to their credit, like, Imperial Knights have always been in the fluff. You know, yeah, they've, they've been they've existed since Rogue Trader. Yeah, I've got old, yeah, you know, old second edition epic models. And I will argue, even though it's been incredibly painful at times, the introduction of a big big unit army like that, where it's like buy three models and you're ready to play, has been a boon for getting new players into the hobby. Yeah, because I think you know, build being able to build a two thousand point army and only have to buy four models. That's really. Good. I mean, they're that's really expensive models. But honestly, it's cheaper than buying 2,000 points of another army. That is true. Like, that's the thing. Is, like, that it, is true. It lowers that barrier of entry where it's like you get this build. Well, it. and around this time, like, the knight's model was like, a knight was like $100. So yeah. for, like, you could buy, like, a three-knight army, like, you know, three for 300-some dollars and have. And you a, were good a, to go. Yeah. And also, this is around the time, yeah, people were playing 1750 or yeah. 1999 plus one. Oh, <laughs> yes. Because we don't want to allow double detachments because... Then Nids would be too good. <laughs> was that in 6th right. edition? That was 6th yeah, edition. Okay, that was 6th edition. Okay. Because 6th edition said, like, at 2,000 points, you could take you could two yeah. Force Org charts. Yeah, yes. that's right. I, I remember the experience of, of being a 6th edition Tyranids player. And, like, the beginning of 6th edition was like, this is really cool. I like all of this yeah. stuff. And then slowly, slowly, Realizing, throughout the course yeah. of it, yeah. it's... They stripped away stuff that the Tyranids could do. Yeah, here we yeah. go. Page 110 of the small 6th edition rulebook. As your collection of miniatures grows, the urge to use them all at once will become hard to resist. At a total of 1999 points, four sword chart becomes a very limiting factor. This being the case, if you're playing a game of 2,000 points or more, you can take an additional primary detachment, to which everyone said, oh, hell no. I, We're going to say it's 1999, and you can go one point over. I, I want to say that right. to whoever... Um, Whoever wrote the sixth edition rulebook, screw you for targeting me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> As your collection goes, you will want to use more models. Screw you. <laughs> Kevin, they still make APOC for no, that. No, I know, but I'm just like... <laughs> uh, so you can blame, because this is sixth edition and we still put names on it, Adam Troke, Jeremy Vitok, and Matt Ward, which I've met Jeremy Vitok, and he's a very nice fellow. I think I've actually met Adam Troke. But yeah, yeah, he, he yeah. Uh, Jeremy Vitok wrote the uh, sixth edition uh, Tower Codex. Oh, uh, that's He actually right. signed yeah, yeah. my collector's... Nice. Or not my collector. I didn't have a collector's edition of that one, but he did sign my sixth edition. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This is also right around the time, like, during this era, they were releasing, like, the collector's editions of stuff. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, the Tau one was in, like, that plastic lenticular slipcase mm -hmm. with, like, the riptide on the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, shortly after Imperial Knights hit, that's when we got 7th edition. And it basically was 6th edition, but within a... Functional psychic changing. phase. <laughs> a new a psychic phase. 
uh, a change to psychic power casting, and that's when you you basically you had a random number, like you had your total mastery levels plus a d6 number of warp charges, and then you spent your warp chart like so you'd have a power that would be like oh it's three warp or you could decide yeah. how many warp charges you wanted to spend, yeah, that's and then right. you rolled that many dice, and every every die that was like four or better, you got a uh, you got a warp charge. And then but also could, on sixes or ones, you you could pair. Yeah, you know, if you things had would like, happen in peril, so there was kind of a double edged sword. Actually, did kind of like how the psychic powers worked in seventh edition. <laughs> It was a fun mini game, yeah. but it, it slowed down things. It slowed things down, and it was as the psychic phase continues Confusing. to be. It was completely unbalanced. If you if you were playing a zine charm yes. or something, you had buckets and buckets of warp charges. And I'm the you know corn player over here going. I get to roll a well, D6. Even, even with Eldar against Zinch, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't have buckets because Zinch was yeah. a whole... Or Grey Knights or had Grey a lot Knights, of yeah. Grey Knights had a bucket. Yeah. Tyranids could get buckets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Eldar could get buckets. So but I, I played Tau. For, right, yeah, 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 yeah. You and I basically... <laughs> and I, I played Tau and Black Templars. We, I didn't have psychic powers. What's the psychic phase? <laughs> Um, it made my games go faster. Yeah, which is nice. Um, that's also <laughs> the era that brought us the uh, the concept of battle forged or unbound armies. That was a yeah. that was an, a very unpopular move. Oh, I when it first I loved the p- fact that people freaked so much out about unbound. Oh, with unbound armies, you can do whatever you want. Unbound armies are a thing in eighth edition. Nobody talks about it. Nobody nobody worries. <laughs> like people have realized that the one thing I'll say is that over time, like when flyers came out, when Lords of War came out, when these other Psychic phase came out. People like got all. Oh my gosh, this is going to break the game. So, no. so Kevin, you're saying people don't like change. People, they, people do not like. People change. do not like change, and people overreact. Speaking of Lords of War, Lords of War officially became part of the org chart. Yep. yep. You know, for standard games, like it's as of seventh edition. There's no more hiding. Like escalation doesn't matter. So yeah. you can play a Lord of War in. Yeah, it was in, in the core edition. book. Yeah, core and rules. they also, but they also did fix D weapons, so they weren't nearly as bad yeah. in seventh edition. Yeah. And. In the codexes, all of those like named leader characters that were like the top guy mm-hmm. in your army, yeah, they became lords of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, true. like Dante was a lord of war. Gazgol was a lord of war. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Logan Grimnar. Yeah, was a lord Logi, of war. the Avatar was a lord oh, of war. Avatar was a lord of yeah. war. Yeah. Yeah, Lord of Wars were not necessarily restricted to the huge tank. <laughs> Gabriel, and it was kind of Gabriel games. Seth and his chainsword was a Lord of War. <laughs> <laughs> this was also around the time I believe that Gazgol with his no invulnerable save. <laughs> but this was around the time that also Horse Heresy like rules yeah. like they started releasing Horse yes. Heresy stuff for 40k yeah. or at least you know like Forge World started yeah. doing it and uh, you started seeing. Um, like Primarchs were lords of yep. war, so it's like again, it didn't have to be like a knight level what you know thing. It was just like somebody who was like a big power, you know, like power force in your army. Was it sixth or was it seventh edition when we started? Like the community kind of finally just accepted that Forge World was part of the game and weren't putting restrictions. I, on. I think that's more seventh. I think it was late, on the start. late seventh. It okay. did, hadn't had people were still fighting against yeah. it at this point. So yeah. Well, but it I didn't help kind of slowly becoming a more accepted thing. It didn't help that Forge World was release model slowly, and Slower then they than GW did. <laughs> and they had no rules updates for even yeah. 
slower than GW would. Absolutely. Let's see. We also got a revised allies chart, which <sighs> simplified things somewhat. Like, if you were an Imperium army, like, all Imperium armies became Battle Brothers. Instead of the weirdness before where certain Imperium armies didn't... Which well, was very right. fluff. Sisters of Battle and Grey Knights wouldn't, wouldn't or, work together. Well, it was Sisters or, of Battle and Black Templars would work together. That's the one that's weird, and, it, yeah. and it's like, wait a minute, they're both, like, pretty much on the same side. Uh, Nids were still screwed. Nids were so screwed. Yeah, yeah, Nids could only ally with Nids, which didn't matter. Um, yeah, Tal lost a lot of friends. Tal, Tal, Tal lost, lost a lot of their yeah, friends. Yeah, Tal lost all... The only battle brother... Yeah, Tal lost all their battle brothers. Um, that said, they didn't need him. They were yeah. really good at this. So, <laughs> allies kind... Like, basically, allies were either Imperium armies or Chaos and Chaos Demon armies. And that yeah. was it. Because everyone else didn't... Or Eldar and Drew... And Dark Eldar. Yeah, right. It wasn't Drukhar yet. It was still Dark right. Eldar. Harlequins and pr- thing. pretty much what this kind of shows is these are the major keywords we got now. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, you're, you can definitely tell that this is where the origins of that system came in. And, and frankly, it's better. Yep. And I guess tactics in the game changed a lot in 7th edition because you had to now kill closest models yep. as opposed to being able to yes. choose who died. Yeah, shooting shooting became, like, placement. Model placement became yes. very tight. Which sucked if you had a guy with a flamer because the flamer still only had the range of a flame template, but you didn't want to have him in the front because he'd die first to shooting. Mm-hmm. But he'd have to be in the front if you had a large squad because you didn't want him flaming your people or not being able to hit anything because his flamer's way in the back. Oh, and that was yeah. something else... We mentioned it a bit when we talked Tau, but 6th edition, something they had brought in was Overwatch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that was, the was big a huge thing. thing. Yeah, yep. and that, that was a big power boost to, to also, Tau and to Orcs. Also, 6th edition brought in the random charge charge roll, I believe. Was that 6th edition? Let's see. Charging in the assault phase. Because um, 5th edition, you stood still. Mm-hmm. And then rolled two d six. No, or it was, went it twelve. Was, it was twelve. It was twelve inches. Right. So it was a, just a static twelve. Yeah, so sixth edition is when edition. you rolled your charge range, and I remember yeah. people being pissed about that. Yeah, because like you, I, I liked it. I like the random charges because it's yeah. I think it's always. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, so it hurt my armies, but I but I, I like okay. it. You just need to make your army fleet. Right, yeah, this is like rules of like fleet and stuff like that where you could run and charge and stuff like that. So, yeah, you also had that weirdness of like going from 5th edition to 6th edition like they changed what like enhanced senses did yeah, like they would completely. Yeah, that was the one thing between 5th and 6th and and between 6th and 7th, they would they had the the key the the universal special rules. But they would all do completely different things each edition. Because I believe that, like, Preferred Enemy changed a little bit. Yeah. Between, yeah. between editions. Furious Charge. Furious Charge changed. changed completely. Yeah. So the Universal Special Rules, I don't, I don't, I still don't know if I like them better than what we have in 8th edition. Because it was kind of nice to have the page where everything was and it was in the rule book and you didn't have, you, you had, uh, feel no pain that worked universally across all armies the right. same way. I, I, but there yeah. were way too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, something else that sixth edition introduced, cause I'm just looking at the fifth edition and I just realized, cause like in fifth edition, yeah, you just moved, you moved into assault rage. Like yeah. It was just oh, that's normal right. It was movement. Normal you, movement. And yeah. you could only move up to six inches yeah. in the assault phase. 
But the thing was, in 5th edition, you could not pre-measure. You had to eyeball it. 6th oh, yeah. edition yeah. introduced right. pre-measuring. And again, that was something else. People... It's the death of the hobby right there. Well, because there were people who, like, that was a skill they Takes had the developed. the skill out of the game, yeah. They, yeah. A skill they had developed to carefully eyeball, like, especially guard players with, like, artillery trying yeah. to eyeball exact because you had to do they had guess range weapons like you'd have yeah. to say like yeah. I'm guessing that's 36 inches away and then you would put the template 36 <sighs> inches and if you managed to hit the thing yeah yeah it's or then there's the people who put their hand down on the table and are oh, like, yeah. I know how big my hand is. Well, let so me, like, let me, let take me a lead look over here and see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad uh, skills like that aren't part of the game. Yeah. Like template placement yeah. was also a big skill that I'm really glad went away after seven. Yeah. Because freaking wyverns can. Go to hell. Seventh edition also <laughs> introduced Maelstrom of War and Tactical Objective decks. Which I do really like those. Yes. And I remember the white dwarf that had the Tactical Objective deck that you could like... <laughs> you you cut base- out? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, punch yeah. out. Yeah. Or no, that was the oh, Cities of Death specific one. There was had- a, yeah, it was a Cities of Death specific Tactical Objective deck that you got in white dwarf. Right. Um, <laughs> and then with seventh edition, then we started seeing codexes start rolling out yeah. more regularly. Uh, orcs got their first new codex in they, a long while. Since fourth. This is also where we saw the advent of data sheets. Data yes. separate data sheets. As, as opposed and, to the old listed just stat line listings. And, and formations. Formations yes. were something that was actually formally introduced in the, uh, seventh edition rule book. Yes. Yep. And this is also, I think, think around the time was the adamantium lance out at this point yet i think it came out so it came out around this time because i know that it was popular i think it came out in white dwarf yes but i know it was was. super popular when we were at that first at the first renegade open that we went to later that year right Um, the the shield of ball actually introduced a number of formations for the tyranids yeah just right earlier before the seventh edition came out and this is interesting because the formations were kind of interesting and like were an interesting thing it wasn't until next year when like the necron codex came out that you had the 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 formation formation of of formations formations. and that uh, once again completely changed the way that you built lists yeah um yeah, that's right. And seventh edition also gave us the okay, the Sanctus Reach, the oh, Red Wall. Yeah, that right. that was that was uh you know another source of material that came out in uh, July two twenty fourteen. So shortly after seventh, it was like one of the this first was, things of seventh edition. So for seventh edition, the seventh edition starter was still the Dark Vengeance box. Yes, yeah. But this was also right around the time because I think the Red Wall had a special box set that came with it i know shield of ball had a box set that came with it this is when you started getting the army like kind of secondary starter boxes yes or you know like here's you know here's two armies in a box give us 150 bucks for it you know or whatever it was yep and this is also with orcs something i didn't have on the list here wagazgal they got they got their supplement which had formations and and such yeah mm-hmm. like gasgol's what bully boys and stuff like that oh yeah, yeah yeah uh gray knights blood angels space wolves and dark eldar all got uh seventh edition updates in 2014 and they all got their thing that was when we had the 
not a combined arms detachment, primary detachment with like different unit loadouts, and mm. you got a special benefit instead of like uh, objective secured. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, this is actually the yeah when objective secured like became a thing that you got for building your army out of the rule book instead of out of like your codex. Was this also when like the homunculi covens? Uh, yes, I believe so. came out. I remember there was some different specific formations and stuff. Yes, in that October one as well. 2014. Yeah. So yeah, homunculus covens came out the same month as uh, Dark Eldar. Yeah. Also, uh, Champions of Fenris came out the same time as these, mm-hmm. or like a week or so after the Space Wolf Codex. Um, also, uh, let's see, no, that came later. That's for a different edition. But yeah, that, yeah, so we started, uh, getting this. Also, 2014 is the first year we attended the Renegade Open. Technically, their second year. So yes. 2013 would have yeah. been their first year, but this was the year that they in- invited the first year us. That matters. <laughs> well, it was the, it, <laughs> it, it, know, yeah. it was the first year they were at Fantasy Flight Game yep. Center, and it was the first year they were really trying to expand the event. And I believe that was the first year that I that I personally had been recognized for the podcast, which yes. is even to this day still a weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was a weird moment where people were like, "I know who you are," and I'm like, "What? What did I do?" Oh yeah, you listen to the podcast, and we've gone back every you know, yeah, at least two of us have been at, at every Renegade Open since. Yep. So uh, now it's been that has been a, a fun ride. Yeah, and uh, one that was you know just. The, the, the importance of being able to go to an event like that. And like the year after that, we started going there in Halo and some of these other local events. You started seeing kind of this rise of these local events and the community outside of GW. Yes. Um, you know, as a response, because like I said, at this point, GW had completely pulled back, didn't have Facebook, didn't have the community site yet, didn't have anything, didn't communicate with their players at all, weren't releasing FAQs. They were releasing, you know, this is where we would have. You know, we'd have all these books coming out and then, you know, it would be a year later before we get an FAQ for a book that came out, you know, an edition ago, basically. Yep. It it was, it was awful. So this is where you started seeing like the ITC FAQ and, you know, the, the community really kind of stepping up and taking over some of those responsibilities that GW, quite frankly, dropped the ball on. Yes. And then finally, and to wrap up 2014, Shield of Ball, our first two-part campaign book, mm-hmm. with uh, Shield of Ball Leviathan, which focused on all the Tyranid stuff, and then yep. Shield of Ball Exterminatus, which had all the Blood Angel and Necron stuff. Yes, the Necron <laughs> Fist Bump, which That's actually right, predated yeah. this mention. Because like, the Necron fist, in the Necron Codex was Necron mentioned, Codex, yeah. but then they kind of like... <laughs> Doubled ex- down on it. They <laughs> leaned in on <laughs> it. They, yeah, they decided to lean in on it. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's when Blood Angels got a number of formations and, um, yeah, and this, this is really when formations became a thing. Yep. A, you know, a real thing. So we finished up the first half of the decade. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to jump into 2015 through 2019. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. 
and to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and uh, we are going to continue with our look at the past decade in 40K, going into 2015 now. 2015 uh, saw Eldar without Harlequins, because then Harlequins became their own army for the first time. And I know this was a huge deal, because um, it added more to the Harlequin line, Mm -hmm. it added more fluff for them, and it just felt really cool to, like... Have I mean, Eldar already kind of were considered a small elite army, but here's now a small elite of the elite. Yeah, no, and it, it really this is this year is where we especially where we start to kind of see a lot of these uh, legacy armies that or you know that it were in the fluff before or had codexes in the past start getting like back into the game, um, and I thought that was really cool. Um, the one the other big change too, and I chronologically like necrons was the first codex 2015 and that was the one that really shook things up because it was the first codex that did the formations of formations where you basically had the weird flow chart of like if you take one of these formations and two of these and one of these and you get a command benefit oh yeah and that that almost that codex was effectively 7.5 like addition because it changed the way all armies were built and like from that point forward all armies had that yeah. So it was kind of even midstream. It was kind of a, a an evolution of the core rules. Yeah, and you're right. Ne- Necrons were in February. Yeah. Uh, Eldar didn't come until uh, t- uh, April. Yeah. And Eldar were also now craft world like craft, craft worlds, worlds were, Eldar. Yeah. Yeah, because it was craft worlds Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Harlequins, mm-hmm. all very separate armies. Also, 2015 brought us your favorite army, Corn Demonkin. Ah, uh, may they rest in peace. Corn um. <laughs> Demonkin, a, a concept which we were hoping they would follow up with Nurgle Demonkin and Slanesh Demonkin. Oh, I want Demonkin. to see this Slanesh one. I hope maybe it'll come. I back. still do. <laughs> I hope it comes back because I mean the Chaos Demon book is nice, 
But nobody really plays. It's it's the a gods really together. hard army to play by itself because you you're so chaos. Space Marines in general is kind of a like mono focused, but demons are especially mono focused. There's very little shooting. It's very in some cases very little punch. Like you can't really play it by itself very effectively um, unless you delve into like Forge World and some of the other combinations. So the core demon kind of like taking an aspect of like, we're going to combine this army, do the formations of formations thing, but we're also going to do, in my opinion, the thing that's still the best like rules that they made is like, as you play this army and you do the thing the army's designed to do, your army gets better. You get extra benefits as you kill things or as you die because corn doesn't care where the blood flows, just that it flows. And like your army got better as you went along and you got extra abilities that you could spend. And it really made that army feel different than playing a corn demon army or a world eaters chaos space marine army. This felt like a different, unique faction. And it was oh, such a good, yeah, <laughs> such a good army. And, I'm so wh- sad that I, lo- that I lost it. And corn demon can also like not something that has been carried over into 40k any further, but that concept of a unified force tied around a a god is very prevalent now in Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Age of Sigmar chaos, like these armies, work in that kind of way where it rewards you for doing the thing that your army is meant to do, mm-hmm. and then giving you, like, you can use those points to spend to summon things, or, you know. Yeah, because that was a really nice thing, because, again, psychic phase became such a big thing, and summoning was a thing, which we, you know, didn't really mention when it came in. Corn not having psychers had no way to bring to summon in demons, which summoning was a total big problem in the edition as well. But Corn Demonkin book was a way for Corn to be able to bring in units without summoning, without having to have psychers, and it's just such a ah, it's my it, literally it's my favorite army in, in 40k, and I'm so sad that I don't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, 2015. Uh, again, a little side note. 2015 is the year that Age of Sig- yep. that Warhammer Fantasy was finally mercy killed. I know there's there's going to be people that take take umbrage at me it's saying come, it that way. It's coming one. back. It is in a couple of years. In a couple of years. But, yeah. uh, but no, when I say mercy killed, it's like fantasy. Like if you were a fan, hardcore fantasy fan, you were in it to for the long haul. But no one could get the the bar of the barrier to entry was so high for fantasy that if you weren't already established it was impossible to be, to be a new player so here's what i have to say about warhammer fantasy let the past die kill it if you have to and they did <laughs> oh and now they're bringing it back because- and now they're bringing it back now they're yeah now they're bringing it back which yep. you can extrapolate from that what you want but uh <laughs> warhammer age of sigmar came out and completely changed how like it, it changed how GW, and this is, I think, around the first yep. time when we started seeing that GW was a, was starting to shift a little bit. We, we didn't yep. quite have a good handle on it yet, but uh, they released a rule set with no point system. Yep. With uh, very, very streamlined. Two pages of core rules or three uh, pages, whatever page, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was like, like very, few, very few core rules. And... and it drove people nuts because they couldn't make a, like, there was no army balance, and a lot of, like, hardcore fans like, did. Count your wounds. 
Yeah, that works. Yeah, it, it didn't. <laughs> no, it, it didn't. It didn't. But at the same time, the people who like the people who did kind of accept it and work with it found that it was actually really they really liked the rule set. It just needed structure. It needed some some balanced structure for army construction. And so that's when you started seeing fans start cobbling systems together to try to make it work. And GW started to notice, but not, but nothing came of it quite nothing yet. Nothing came yet, yet but this but, is where you started to, started to see the changes. Happening. Yes. Uh, then, uh, we also saw our first, well, not first, because Imperial Knights was our first new faction for 40k, other yeah. than in, uh, 2014, 2015, Corn Demonkin and Harlequins, kind of new factions, but they're just yeah. recycling of old mm. units. Skitari and Cult Mechanicus. People had been wanting to play Adeptus Mechanicus for years yes. and years. And a, I mean, we even saw a Mechanicus army at Games Day. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that people it's, were just kit bashing together out of stuff. Or, it, was, it was the big, it was the one big foundational piece of the lore that didn't have any rules. Well, one of two. The other one comes later. But like, of like the original like world and faction and like, because, like, this is a – the Adeptus Mechanicus is a huge piece of the world that just never had an army. Yeah. Because you had tech marines. You had references to it. You had all these things. Now it finally was a playable army and had really awesome models and still does. Like Yes. And uh, this is – and then shortly – so we got that, but in two different books – yeah, that play it was a little weird di- the way they split off the Mechanicus and Skitari. Yeah, and they and like Skitari was an army with like no HQs, and mechanic and Cult Mechanicus was an army that did have HQs, yeah, but you but couldn't like play no them. Troops, but no know. troops. Yeah, and like that's also when after that came out, they did the White Dwarf with the War Convocation, which right? Was the com- combination of everything, well, which was broken as shit. Well, and War Convocation <laughs> came out. Alongside the the new a year later Imperial yeah. Knights Codex that went from one, one thing we didn't really mention in our last segment was that Imperial Knights had two, two units. units. Yeah, the uh, I, I still remember the <laughs> the Jaded Gamercast episode where they were doing their Imperial Knights review and uh, they were like they were going to build a fifteen hundred point list of Imperial Knights. Well, I'm going to take a Knight Crusader, a Knight Crusader, and a Knight Crusader. What are you going to take in your army to get to 1,500 points? Well, I'm going to take a Night Crusader, a Night Crusader, and a Night Crusader. Oh, look, we built less. <laughs> Just, yeah, and so... Not a lot of options. We got the new uh, Night Warden <laughs> kit. Yep. That added uh, added more weapon more weapon options. One more weapon, two more, because the Thunderfist Gauntlet and the... Uh, and the, the Avenger Gatling Cannon. And the Carapace Weapons. And the Carapace Weapons. So, like, all of a sudden, just adding those few things gave you... Gave you three units and a lot of options within those units. And I believe it was right around the same time, or maybe it was before, when they also had, like, the Demon Knights. Yeah, from Forge, Forge World. World. Yeah, had the so, Demon. like, you, you had the ability to do – to take Imperial Knights in a Chaos faction and, and do rules and stuff with them, which was – which also helped get more knights out there. Yeah, the war – normalize it. But, but, yeah, getting to the War Convocation, that's when we first started seeing – oh, wait, formations are a problem. Oh, yeah. Because formations yeah. were not balanced, and this was the first formation that gave you a ton of free stuff. Mm-hmm. And that only gets worse as thing as we get further on. Uh, this is all. This is the year of the first Iron Halo uh, that Dennis and I attended down in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, set in a restaurant, 
and <laughs> it was hot and uncomfortable, and a great time was had by all. It was a lot of fun. That's also where we first met uh, Bam Bam. Yeah. I played Bam Bam at the uh, from the Flying Monkey. You know what would eventually become the Flying Monkey podcast. Uh, nice. There, I think I played him as well. Yeah, and that was like one of the best tournament placings I've had in ever, probably. At one of the big GTs. Yeah, I did not do well at the first Iron Halo. I got rolled hard. Um, let's see. Then we got Dark Angels. And then the Space Marines 7th Edition Codex, which introduced the Battle Company. Yeah. And the demi Battle Company. And that's when they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we get free transports. Like free yeah. free uh, rhinos, free drop pods. And this is also the age where a drop pod army. Although, didn't they? This is also like the... The beginning of the drop pod, up doors, up doors, down thing. Doors, up doors, down, and also the sec, the idea like you couldn't null deploy anymore. Yes, yeah, that was the thing in seventh edition where you couldn't null deploy anymore. Yeah, because um, sixth edition like drop, like fifth and sixth edition drop pod armies were huge, mm-hmm. and then seventh edition got rid of but, the null deploy. But the one thing is nice. Well, nice, I guess. <laughs> the one thing that came out of this as well was the uh, flesh terrorist taxi service. Yeah, because. Uh, Mechanicus, because you didn't have rules, but you couldn't board other transports. Mechanicus had no vehicles, and Space Marines had free vehicles. It didn't take very long for people to, uh, you know, get the peanut butter and the chocolate together and figure out how that you got a broken army that way. <laughs> right, right. Um, let's see. And then, let's see. Uh, we also got the Tau Empire, like the 7th edition Tau Empire Codex, which brought us the Ghost Keel. Yep. And wall of mirrors and the and the the first formation uh, formations that were non imperium. Yes. So, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff in there. And then following up Space Marines and uh, Tau Empire and also the Mechanicus stuff early in the year, our next two part campaign book with uh, Warzone Damocles, with uh, Kaoyan and Montka, which actually for the f- well, I'd say Shield of Ball moved the story forward a bit. But this was the first one where we had significant changes. Permanent changes to characters, such as Anvad dying. Chapter Master uh, Shrike. Ca- ca- yeah, Shrike getting updated from, upgraded from a captain to a Chapter Master. Um, it's like we, s- <laughs> and the Damocles Gulf getting set on fire at the end and, and oh, completely, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like there were some like major changes to the storyline and that trend, like we were very surprised to see like, wait a minute, they're actually doing stuff to the storyline. And this is also when we start, like, 7th edition is when we really started seeing the codexes where they had timelines. Like, I think we had it a little bit in 6th, but 7th, we really start, like, that was a standard feature for a codex, was, like, timeline of, like, the the history and up until, like, the end of, like, M41, or M40, you know, going into the 41st millennium. 2016 then hits, and we get another campaign book shortly out out the bat and that was Warzone Fenris Curse of the Wolfen which introduced Wolfen and the 13th uh 13th company of uh uh Space Wolves back yeah. into the mix and that shook things up quite a bit cuz Wolfen were Wolfen. good and they they still are and and yeah. I'm still slightly I I mean I like having Wolfen I like the Thunderwolf and the Wolfen and all that together but I'm still missing my days of the Longfangs yeah, yeah. Those those have not come back quite the same way. Um, let's see. A uh, couple things I didn't have. Uh, Twenty sixteen also saw Angels of Death, the supplement for Space Marines, yeah. that basically took their chapter tactics and all their chapter rules and cranked it up to eleven. 
Yeah. Gave them, also gave us like the ridiculous psychic powers that would let you move pieces of terrain. Oh, I'm so glad those don't <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. Let's see. 2016 also gave us Death Watch along with the Death Mask yeah. uh, box set with the new, the plastic Eldrad Ultra and uh, plastic uh, Death Watch models, which were just amazing like all of those models in that in that box were great yeah and plastic gene stealer cults in the in the death watch box yeah let's see yeah death watch overkill which came out that yeah that actually oh, yeah, that, i guess yeah death watch that, overkill that, came out first that came that's out the first. one that the, yeah although it, it yeah it did have a primus but it wasn't really a playable army yet. yeah yeah well, and at it, that point well, there was death watch it had both sides ended up getting a formation that yes, was yeah. basically the entirety of the box set. Yeah. Right. And then you could just play that. Drop as, that formation as, in with other armies. Yes. Yeah. Right. But it was, it was shortly thereafter that we actually got Death Watch and Gene Stealer Cults as codexes. Codexes. Yes. So suddenly Gene Stealer Cults, an army that had disappeared in second edition, yeah. came back yeah. in 2016. Yeah. No limos, though. No, no limos. No limos. No, no. They no have dirt bikes now. Fat, so that's fine. No, no fat patriarch but yeah you can you can fix that (laughs) yeah um this is also a a important year for us it was our first midwest conquest this is the first of midwest conquest as this is midwest conquest one midwest conquest zero in 2015 had four people show up yeah yeah. yep okay because we threw it together with like two weeks yeah um (laughs) i was there Yep, Midwest so Con- was I. Yep, Midwest Conquest. <laughs> yes, you were two- both playing in it. Yes. <laughs> uh, Midwest Conquest, f- uh, our first official GT yeah. happened in uh, 2016. Also, first Flying Monkey Con. Yeah. yeah. Was uh, in 2016 as well. Uh, let's see. Later. Now, unlike the other two part uh, supplements, like the two part uh, campaign books, most of them had been like shield, like shield a ball and then. Like part one, part two, war, yeah, Warzone Damocles, part one, part two, like yeah. right at one, right, right after, after the other. other. We didn't get Wrath of Magnus until near the end of the yeah. year, and and at this point, by the end of 2016, seventh edition had started to show its cracks. Like, yes, and with formation blow, power level blow, like yeah. And you know there were changes happening at GW at the time. I think this was when there were like heavy rumors of a corporate takeover of the company like, well no yeah Nick, yeah so and we were still not quite seeing like we weren't still like we were starting again seeing more hints of like mm-hmm. this is a new gw 2016 when we really started seeing it 2016 introduced something for uh age of sigmar the general's handbook yes because as we mentioned you know age of sigmar didn't have a point system so what did people do People, especially like the South Coast GT for in England for uh, Age of Sigmar, like they put together a point system. They yeah. kind of figured out like a rough power balance system for Age of Sigmar. And Games Workshop was very impressed. I'm like, wait a minute, people are coming and playing in these events, and they're using this point system. And and the people behind the South Coast GT were like, yeah. well, yeah, because they like the game, they like Age of Sigmar, yeah. but they need a balanced system for building armies. So. GW worked with them to come up with a point system and suddenly the General's Handbook came out which cr- introduced a point system for everything in Age of Sigmar 
and suddenly the game exploded yeah. because that was the missing piece. And this is also like the roster builder, I think, that they worked with. Like not the, the same group, but another group at the same for time. For the, the role, War Scroll Builder. Yeah, the yeah. War Scroll Builder. So, like, yeah, it. This is GW's first tentative steps of kind of coming back to the community because, you know, in 2014, if somebody had done that, GW would have slapped him with the lawsuit and they would have shut him down. Now you're seeing kind of the beginning of the softer, gentler GW well, that's willing to work with them. Well, so they had a lot of blowback from the Chapter House stuff. Like they were – nobody viewed them as the good guys out of no. the Chapter House stuff, even though they were in the legally in the they right. They were legally in the right, and I'm not like a huge fan of what Chapter House was doing. <laughs> But, like, it, it made them look like the big corporate bully. Yeah. Um, and this was them kind of realizing that the hobby is still here, you know, still here. We're, we, you know, people are going to fill in the gaps if we don't. So we need to take more active steps. Well, and I remember we did an interview with Reese Robbins and, you know, he had had a chance to talk to GW yep. and said there were people there who really wanted to reach out to the community, but they were kind of held back by, you know, the winds of corporate leadership at the time. And so this was GW really first starting to let their, let those, that guard down. This is also around the same time that, uh, the black crusade campaign books of traders hate and, uh, yeah. Traders hate and angels blade came out in September, October. And that's when the, uh, the Karn leak, because <laughs> yeah. we had the that's right because yeah. wrath and magnus was coming out and we had the magnus like the or the Aramon and the the sort like the the leak of like these mm-hmm. inch models and that's when gw released this video said you know that's pretty cool but look what else we found in the trash yeah and oh, that was also the first one model. to suggest plastic sisters might be coming one day yeah well in 2016 was and we mentioned this earlier with duncan leaving gw this is when the gw Started posting like more, more videos. TV, to, yeah. More Tamer TV came about. They were posting more videos. They used it to post leaks. And it was, it was kind of that first tentative steps back into the community that they'd kind of withdrawn from them for the last several and, years. And I think they saw that the response was very positive. Mm-hmm. People immediately were like, wait a minute. They're playing along with this. This yes. is not the same. Like, what cha-? Well, we know leadership had changed. Tom yes. Kirby had, re- had basically stepped aside. Somebody else had yep. come in. And they had brought in someone else from outside to kind of look at the company and be like, how can we better market this? How can we yeah. like well and, and I think in talking with Reese and talking to other people, like uh Kevin Roundtree, the the current You're new right. CEO, unlike you know, not to say that Tim Kirby, you know, Tom Kirby didn't like enjoy the company like that, but Kevin Roundtree like worked for the company. Like he started in the line and he worked his way up. So he was somebody who had been with the company and kind of been a lifer and understood the hobby. And like understood more of the the business mechanics, and I think that perspective from leadership has been a huge boon. Because you know, I work for a big corporation. I mean, other people here do too. Like corporate leadership does set the tempo and the the tone for the entire company. And I think going from a corporate thing to like, no, we're a games company. Let's have fun with this. I think that's permeated through, and I think that's the, really the big change that you've seen over the last several years. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Wrath of Magnus comes out, and then we get our first Primark. First Primark. Magnus the Red is a Primark release, and that that was such a good model. That was a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And we also got like along with that, we got new Rubric Marines, new like 
Scarab Terminators, new Aramon, new uh like Exalted Sorcerers, Zangors, like yeah. just all like the entire like Thousand yeah. Suns model line. And around that same time, we also got the Trader Legions book, which uh, opened up. Basically, it was everything. Everything Chaos, I wanted. Everything for Chaos Space Marine players had really wanted for a good solid six months. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also the 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 Nurgle stuff that I really wanted to play and got it for six months. Yeah, <laughs> can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was a great book. Like it had everything in it you wanted. It had new rules for all of the new models, the new Karn model, you know, Legion rules, and it really leaned into what they'd been building for the last at that point decade with the Horse Heresy models and the Horse Heresy books. Because at that point, you know, in the year three, four years into Forge World producing the 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 Horse Heresy books, several of the Primarchs had been released, several of the ch- Legion rules had been released, so they could like, oh, well, if we take this Legion rule and twist it and change it for 40k, boom, people like it, and s- still one of my favorite releases, even though it was only a very, very short-lived w- release. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we also have, t- thankfully, it was only a short t- amount of time <laughs> that we had to deal with pink horrors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, broken God, ass God. pink horror rules. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is also, also had. <laughs> and this is also around the time we like something else we we didn't mention earlier, but we you know horse heresy started going into plastic. We had betrayal at Calf, oh, I believe, in 2015, 2016, or, or maybe it was in 2016, 2017. We got uh, burning a prospero. Burning a prospero. Because I think that was right before Wrath of Magnus came. Yeah, we got because yeah, they so, were like, "Here's the plastic Aramon," and then later, like, "Oh, surprise! Here's a 40k plastic Aramon." Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I like this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's where like we got Contemptor Dreads, and we got like all the Mark. We got the Mark Four armor in uh, Betrayal at Kalth. We got the Mark Three armor plastics in uh, Burning, Burning Prospero. Prospero, and that's also like when we started seeing. Forge World slow down a little bit on like th- I mean not entirely they're still putting out like f- resin kits for yeah. Horse Heresy but that you saw like a lot of the resin lines start to get retired because now yeah. we had plastic, plastic bodies lines, to put it yeah. on. Um, and then we got one of our most favorite books uh, that have ever been the released. Oh boy! Book ever. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. The book Imp- shall not be named. Nope. No, no, we're, no, gonna no. we're gonna name, name it. it. We're gonna name it because it's part of the it's part of the decade. Imperial Agents. Ah, and now for a forty five oh, minute God. retro review of Codex Imperial Agents. I liked it. No. <laughs> I, I thought it was <laughs> super neat and really wanted to like it and oh, really wanted to play the stuff in it and it just was a mess. It it was a mess of a book. It was I kind of think it it felt like it was every idea they had left in there to like release app to get out in the edition and in hindsight you know it and i think i've mentioned this before mm-hmm. like with eighth edition and how eighth edition works and you if you look back at how imperial agents was set up like yeah. that's almost like a template for how a lot of that stuff was supposed to work absolutely yeah. like it, it's a book that should be released now not in seventh edition it, it the, my, my problem is that it did not work for seventh edition it had too yeah. many exceptions to army building that needed to be taken yep. for it to work at all the one good thing i think that came out of it is that we finally had a print sisters codex that wasn't in a white dwarf <laughs> yeah because they basically reprinted yeah. the digital book in for six imperial months. agent for for six months <laughs> 
Um, and then 2017, like right on the heels of this, 2017 opens up with The Gathering Storm, the, the three-part campaign t- that discussed the fall, the fall and retreat from Cadia, the success yeah. of Abaddon's 13th Black Crusade, which had hap- that we had an Eye of Terror campaign way back in the days of 4th edition, like 3rd and 4th edition, and then it got... Actually, yeah, I think it was third edition. Shelved. Edition. Yeah. Yeah. Got, it got recon, or got re, it got retconned and then redone. And oh, Gathering Storm was such a roller coaster ride to, to read. I mean, just, and that's also when we got Celestine the Saint in, pla- you know, Saint Celestine yeah. Plastics. Yanari. Yeah, the Yanari. That that was a whole new thing, a yeah. brand new faction of Eldar. And Bobby G. And Bobby G himself, and the story moved forward irrevocably. Oh, yeah. At this point, and that pretty much declared, like, this is the end of 7th edition. It was a major declaration of that, but I think all of us here love that they actually moved the story along. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was our biggest thing that we took away from it. Yep. Also alongside this, Talons of the Emperor and the Adeptus yes. Custodes and Sisters of Silence Digital Codexes were released. And suddenly, yeah. you know, two new factions, barely playable on their own. Like, cause Custodes had like one model kit <laughs> and like, yeah. and then a Contemptor Dread and, and a, a Land Raider. And a Land Raider. I remember that the last game of seventh edition I played after our second or after this Midwest Conquest, which I guess was the second one. I went back to Phoenix as I, I also moved during this year. Went back to Phoenix and I played in the Scorched Earth Open and I played a combined arms detachment that was like Celestine as my HQ, Custodes as my troop, Sisters of Silence as elites, and Gilliman as a Lord of War, and it was, came out to like exactly 2,000 points, and I got rolled in every game. But it was fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the, the ridiculousness of list building in 7th. Yeah. I'm so glad we Also, we got Grandmaster Voldus yeah. in the, the box with, like, Bobby G had Grandmaster Voldus and Cypher in it. Because, like... Yeah. Uh, where, well, and there was Barisali's Call. Yeah, Barisali's Call, and, uh, Celestine, and Inquisitor Greyfax yeah. in the first months. Plastic Inquisitor, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, and Greyfax was another one that I just loved using. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, that, that was, whereas we were very tired of 7th edition at this point, it was such a cool note to go out on. Yeah. I, I remember that second Midwest Conquest. The, like, they had already announced the new edition. Yeah. It wasn't, they were starting to feed out details about. So, like, this was one of the last, you know, one of the kind of the last blowouts. There were riptides on every friggin' table. Um, but, like, I remember just the low-keyness of that event. Like, everybody was kind of chill. Everybody's like, you know what? It's one last ride. Let's just do this and have fun and restart. And, and everyone edition. was like, we are so ready to be done with this edition. Yeah. Just so tired. <laughs> well, and I'll also say, I believe some more of the leaks and things that GW was posting happened during yes. Midwest Conquest. And yes, everyone was gathered around to yeah. see what those were, too. Yeah, we, like people were on their smartphones, like bringing up like what, what had been released. What were they yeah, feeling? I mean, it was, it was just then, such a big yeah. buzz, the, the transition from 7th to 8th. Yeah. And then 8th hit, and we're not going to go f- list all the changes apart to say this was the 
biggest edition change since the second to third edition yes. edition change. Yeah. Because third edition, the third edition rule book has basically mini codexes for every fact, playable faction at that point. Now, with all the factions that had in, been introduced, that was no longer a tenable solution. Sure. So instead, we got the indexes and we yeah. entered the era of index eighth edition 40k. But not for long. Kind of wish we'd go back to that. But <laughs> but eighth edition. So eighth edition had was was like right out the gate. It you had to unlearn everything you had learned in forty k. Yes. It was such a different system. But it also, to be fair, was kind of bland out the gate. It yeah. was index forty yeah. k. Got like especially is especially rough for like. Trader legions, like you got all these cool, flavorful rules, and, and they, were they were gone. just gone. Every like all like everything was just gone, stripped away down to like the bare. But eighth edition, despite the sameness of it, you know the the kind of lack of flavor, it did play quick. It yep. was deadly. It was just a ridiculous amount of of fun we like really enjoyed games for like one of the f- yeah. like enjoyed the game itself not yeah. just the act of playing it was always fun to play with friends and get in the table but it was neat to play for yeah. the first time the other thing that they touted about eighth in, in index and i think they delivered on is units felt like they should Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could just put a unit that, you, and we saw units that we we never see on the table. We we tried them out and like, oh wow, swooping hawks are kind of fun and they're kind of good now. And it's just neat to see that variety hit because as soon as the codexes and things hit going forward, variety is kind of lost again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we got, and we still haven't had anything from uh, Forge World apart from the Imperial Armor indexes. Yeah. Those have, the Forge World indexes have, other than some errata. Yeah. And point they, increases. And, and point <clears throat> changes, yeah. Um, so 2017, uh, we, we saw that. Then Dark Imperium was released along with that, which was introduced like new Death Guard models and the concept of Primaris Space yep. Marines, which that had, that has also been a very controversial addition to the game. Yeah, and I still don't think they fully... I mean, we talked about earlier, like, they're just now getting Primarist Archangels and so and characters, and I, I still don't think they fully delivered on it, but I also understand that they wanted to slow roll it to not, like, just have everybody revolt. Yeah. <laughs> but... I mean, there's still people to this day who, like, I say this day, it's been like two years. Right. But there, there's still people who are just vehemently opposed to the idea, like, the entire concept, yeah. fluff-wise, of... Premier, like their the existence of premier yeah. space marines, They're but space marine or space yeah. marines, I, but it's a thing that exists in this. Yeah. So yeah, and and I do. There's a lot of things I like about primaris marines because they do feel the way that I think space marines are supposed to feel, where they're like they are clearly better than normal humans. Um, but yeah, they they still don't yet feel like they're a fully realized army. Yeah, give it a couple more years. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I, I know they're kind of slow rolling it, but it feels better now. Like now that we have the shadow spear, shadows. Well, and, and to be fair, storm, as we storm, we mentioned, custodes and towns of the emperor. <laughs> yeah, they they felt lackluster. Absolutely, until they got there. Until they got their full update. Right. So. Once they get all the pieces to go with it, they'll they'll be fine. Yeah. And then the second half of 2017. Now. 
Contrast this with 2011, when there were three codexes released, and 2012, in which there were two and a white dwarf codex. In the second half of 2017, we had Space Marines, Chaos Space Marines, Death Guard, Grey Knights, Eldar, Adeptus Mechanicus, Astra Militarum, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Tyranids. We had never seen a codex release schedule like this, to the point where we were actually having... Some codexes, some weeks, like two codexes at a time. Well, like I went, was I think it was Grey Knights and Blood Angels. I think were the two that were like released like weeks after each other, and we yeah. had never had before like more than one codex in a month, and we had like three in a four week span. It was it was nuts. Well, Death Guard and Grey Knights, I think, came out the same week or right after. Yeah, yeah like, like right it was, after it was, each other. Yeah, it was very very just rapid fire. Just get them out, get them updated because. You know, they were at, this was adding in the stratagems and adding in the psychic powers and the army specific rules that, you know, adding back in all that flavor that was gone from index 40k. Right. But as you said, along with it came the suddenly the optimal builds and things like that. Like the suddenly some options were clearly better than others in combination with these rules. And also we noted you started noticing power creep because you could see the difference between the design mentality going into space marines and chaos space marines out the door of 8th edition mm-hmm. and then by the time you're starting to get into the you know the the end of the first year you're starting to see that power creep up a bit here and a bit here and a bit here um also, the end of 2017, I don't have it on our list, but it definitely happened. Chapter approved. Yes. We got our, we got, because at this point, 2017, we now had a second general's handbook for Age of Sigmar, and they had suddenly, they had decided, we're going to update these points every year. The game is going to stay, we're going to actively try to balance this game every year. And one of the things they promised with 8th edition is they were going to try the same thing with Warhammer 40k. And chapter approved 2017 was their first attempt to deliver on that promise. And it can be argued how successful that was, but GW was actively trying to take a role. Yeah. They also announced around this time the start, like the big FAQ schedule. Mm -hmm. Like in March, we're going to do a big FAQ. In September, we'll do a big FAQ. And then chapter approved will update points at the end of the year. Well, and this actually, another thing that kind of is related to all of this as well, like the method of them announcing this, the Warhammer community page yes. started up, the Warhammer Facebook page. Yes, they had, they had there. really fully returned yeah. to social media and happily. And they, like people, if people responded angrily at stuff, yeah. they would either ignore it. Or they, or they joke pl- with them. They yeah. joke with them. And so, like, suddenly it's like they had l- finally learned the lessons of like social media that, like, as a brand, you can't just take your ball and go home. Yeah. You, you have to, like, you have to engage, but also remember it's still your page. Engage on your terms. Well, and then they started working, you know, taking a more active involvement with the community, as you mentioned, coming to the LVO, Adepticon, Nova Open, getting. Yeah, uh, people from these, you know, these groups to do playtesting and, you know, letting, getting their input on balance and stuff like that and coming to these events and just, just being uh, so much better. Like it's night and day, like from the end of, from sixth edition to where they are in eighth edition. Yes. Community wise. I, 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 it cannot be overstated how, how much better it is now. Oh yeah. And then, uh, I think, tw- I want to say, was it, 
the end of 2017 or early 2018 is when we got the big community survey. Yes. When they basically said, okay, tell us, what, what do you, you like? What do you not yeah. like? What would you want? And uh, so 2018, we get the first big FAQ in April. Yep. Originally supposed, supposed to be March. March. But then Adepticon happened, and like, Matt Root broke the game open with, like, n- nine yes. flyerants. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've seen this going forward as well, as the big FAQs just seem to be delayed a month almost each time because yeah. of either Adepticon or Nova. Or Nova. Yeah. yeah. Adepticon or Nova fine. open, yeah. Oh, no, it, it, yeah. it is. <laughs> and because those are the two biggest things that GW has a physical presence at yeah. that they're watching. They are watching. And also, I think they've learned you don't want to drop an FAQ right before a major tournament. Exactly. Also. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's given them a chance to watch the tournaments and see, like, okay, and what did feedback. we What did yeah. we miss? And effectively makes 8th edition, like, you know, the, it turns us into a huge beta test. Yeah. And they've even put, like, beta rules in these yeah. FAQs, like, hey, let's try this out. Let us know how it works. If it's good, we'll keep it. If not, we'll modify it and try again. Well, like one I of the specific of things patch they cycle, mentioned. Not a beta test. Well, <laughs> I'd say the first round was a beta test. Okay, now first round. Now, now we're patch cycling. Yeah, now we're patch well, cycling. One of, the, one of the big things they mentioned was like when they went to LVO 2018, they specifically saw how many Castellan Knights were out there, and they're like, "Ooh, we've got a." This is not. The this balance. isn't working. We need to. We need to fix this. And they were like, that went into their. You know, that went into their points thing. Like, nope, we're going to change the points. We're going to fix this. I guess it was LVO 2019, but whatever. Yeah. But like, they, them, that more active involvement in the community well, is clearly more evident. Well, and it's like the first big FAQ is the one that introduced that errata introduced the rule of three. Yep. Because they're like, no, you shouldn't run, shouldn't be able to run nine flying hive tyrants. Well, the nothing, there's nothing that says we can't. Mm-hmm. And also the. Boots on the ground. ground. Oh, yeah. That was actually an earlier fix in 2017 when they saw, like, oh, wait, Storm Ravens are destroying everything and nobody can deal with them because there's no penalty for using them. Okay. Boots on the ground. Flyers don't, you you know, flyers can't control objectives and flyers don't count for being tabled. And suddenly Storm Raven armies went away. Yeah. And 2017 also, like, the points changes fixed the uh, razor wing flock spam oh, issues. Yeah. I mean, it's like eighth edition of every like sixth, se- sixth and seventh edition. Their launches, other than like one or two armies that like just because things hadn't adjusted for it yet, like Necrons or things like that, had relatively smooth launches and relatively smooth early days and just power creep up yeah. and, and more things you know just compounded. Eighth edition really did kind of have a bumpy start because there were a lot of balance issues that the playtesters had not really caught or hadn't really thought. It's like, well, nobody's going to run this. Well, no, apparently, yeah, people will run this. But GW has really tried to stick to their word and be like, we're going to address issues as they happen. We will, like, if we see something that's a problem, we're going to try to fix yeah. it. That's also when we got the, hey, two weeks after a codex comes out, Here's we're going to reply, we're going to provide an FAQ on it because we need to be on top of these things. Well, like, compare that to, you know, like I said, the Blood Angels codex that came out in 2010 and ruled the roost for a good solid two, two and a half years. You know, to this year, we're like, the Castellan was big for six months and then they FAQ'd it and they fixed it. So it's like they're, you still have the same issues. You're still going to have power creep. You're still going to have issues because it's a game. Right. But 
they're more active. They're they're fixing it quicker and things like that, which is great. Yeah. What was the name of the launch campaign they did for Eighth Edition? Dark Imperium. No, the the camp the campaign. Oh, they did like the global the global oh, uh, campaign. I don't... where like you got like tokens if you went there and you played oh, the games. Oh uh, Cronus. I uh, believe I believe that was it. I mean, uh, I could have looked this up, I guess, before I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, one could do that, but then what fun would that yeah, be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they had like stratagem cards that you could yeah. get and like objective markers and stuff. Uh, something else that happened in 2017, I've almost forgot this. Uh, Shadow War Armageddon. Anybody remember that? Yeah, I remember it. So yeah. 2016, we actually got a version of Kill Team for. Six or like fate of Kronor. Fate of Kronor. That's I was close. Yeah, uh, but uh, Shadow War Armageddon. Yes, Dennis brings out his box, which uh, was basically like here's Kill Team, but using the old Necromunda rules, yeah. and they had to release like a set standalone rule book that added in like all the other armies that you could play in it. Um. And I don't think Shadow War Armageddon was ever very successful. It didn't really work as a campaign system. It, it was, was a great box of terrain. It was a, yeah, because that's what introduced our, the Mechanicus terrain for yep. the first time. But uh, in 2017, besides Adeptus Custodes, finally add, adding Terminators and Jet Bikes to their yeah, repertoire. Their Jet Bikes are awesome. The Jet Bikes are broken. And and, uh, and a named character. And, and, yeah, and a named character and the Vexilla... Or did they have the Vexillas technically uh, in the old? They technically, technically did. They reorganized how they worked. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Deptus Custodes, Thousand Sons, Harlequins updated, uh, Death Watch, Tau Empire, Imperial Knights. Again, we just codexes were yeah. just coming. Still, rel- it started slowing down a little bit. Not you know, but it was still pretty rapid fire. Uh, Imperial Knights, Space Wolves, Orcs all got codexes in 2018. And then also in 2018, the current version of Kill Team. Yes, which is great. <laughs> and so it's, and it's also not too long before, I think November 2017, I think late 2017 is also when we saw Necromunda, mm-hmm. like really get re-released. Yeah. And then basically starting to make the concerted effort to going back into specialty games. Yes. Um, cause we've seen since then, we've seen now, uh, Adeptus, Adeptus Titan- Titanicus. We've seen uh, the Aeronautic, Aeronautic Imperialis. Blackstone Fortress. Blackstone. Oh, Blackstone Fortress. So good. Yeah. Um, you know, like the a full version of APOC now that's, you know, faster to play. Like, it, they've they've really made the commitment to, to bringing back these old games. Well, and it started, you know, the thing that started it off, strangely enough, was like Blood Bowl. Yes. They brought yeah. Blood Bowl back as a specialty game. Yeah. And it. And people loved it. People loved it. To the point now where not only is there Blood Bowl, you can go to Barnes & Noble right now and buy Blitz Bowl, which is a strip, like a simplified, yeah. slightly less random version of Blood Bowl that you can play in like an hour with smaller teams. Not only do they have Blitz Bowl, they'll have like the like the one in Oak Park Mall, for example, here in, in like the Kansas City area. Have, they have a separate cardboard display near the board games where they just have expansion armies. Like, you can play Undead, Halflings, uh, Chaos Army for Blitz Bowl, specifically for Blitz Bowl, and then, like, a paint set for Blitz Bowl. And, uh, then, and also the Blitz Bowl box, like the core box, includes cards for playing, like, Elves, Dwarves, like, all, all the other stuff that they've released for Blood Bowl. Yeah. So, like, if you like this game, here's other things you can play in this game. And then maybe it's an entry level into full Blood Bowl, or maybe you just like this simplified version and you want to do that. 
you know, it it's uh, they've also got like the Space Marine Adventures uh, game. Uh, they've and they've they've released more again, more games, more board games into this. Yeah, well, and, and I and we kind of skipped over this because I don't remember exactly when they started, but like 2016, 2017 was when they started releasing the start collecting boxes and yes. just tried to fix the barrier of entry into the hobby. See, see, Rob, it almost feels like they're they're a workshop. That makes games. Well, and again, and it's that change when, when, when they hired, like they specifically put out like, Hey, we're hiring people to work as game developers for the specialist mm-hmm. games department. That's when you could really tell, Hey, this, they're treating this as they are a games company, not just a models company that happens to sell game rules that you, the models can use. And that has made that change in. In focus has opened. I mean, has opened up like financially. I'm sure it's opened up a oh, huge, yeah. huge market for them. But also, it's just it's changed the way people approach it. And people are having they're having fun in the Warhammer 40k or the Age of Sigmar universe or Blood Bowl or what have you yeah. in new ways. Like they're able to like. There's people who are just like. I love giant robots and Adeptus Titanicus scratches yeah. the itch I want, but I'm still in the 40k universe. Uh, I, I want to play a flight game that I doesn't, want, you know, that, that actually has fun rules and like is quick to play. Cause like, let's be honest, the, uh, Death, oh, in, the sky. Death in the Skies rules were garbage. Yes. But like, you know, Aer- Aeronautic Imperialis is really good rules. Like, so it's like, yeah, like they're, you know, I want to start, I can now go and buy a kill team start box. Play, get all the rules to play Kill Team, play that for a while, build up my collection, get it painted, and then graduate into larger games of 40k. And it's just a much easier, smoother transition now. And, and Kill Team is, but it also Kill Team is being treated as a game on it yeah. in its own right. It is, it has its own set of rules. It gets its own special expansions. Um, and like, it's just like we've got chapter approved coming out every year. We've got a like they just released a kill team annual to mm-hmm. collect all the stuff that's been in White Dwarf and all all the things that are like and and get like here's a, here's a place for all the points for kill you know it's the exact same kind of thing it's like kill team is being treated like a game of its own right that needs to be supported on so is Blackstone Fortress Blackstone Fortress yeah. has an annual now yeah I mean it's not a very big it's a relatively yeah, it's thin a- book but. They're treating it with the like this is a game that people want to play and maybe they don't want to play. 40k maybe this is a game that people just enjoy playing like a campaign board game but hey we'll support that and give you more things to do in that game well it's like they realized that same thing that that rpgs realized in like the early mid 2010s maybe people don't have five six hours to play a game maybe they only have 45 minutes so let's start making games that play in that time as well so we can still sell them yeah we can still sell them (laughs) stuff and like rather than Okay, well, I don't have time to play a full game of 40k. I guess I'll go play video games. Like, no, let's uh, go play Kill Team. Let's, yeah, you know. Uh, and again, like the testing ground of of Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. like I think a lot of that kind of started with Warhammer Underworlds. Yes, and and seeing that that actually worked fairly successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that okay, we can do that in 40k too. Yeah, and we're on our. So I think that started 2016. Yeah, think something like so. That, yeah, because yeah, they're on their. They just like started their third season, effectively yeah. of it. Yeah. So, I guess maybe 
Yeah, 2016 or 2017, somewhere yeah, around somewhere there. in that area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. 2017, I think, because 2016, we were, we, I remember we were at Renegade talking about like Imperial Legion or Titan Le- Trader Legions and Imperial yeah. Legion. 2017, they had like we actually got our hands on the Shade Spire box, the Underworld yeah. Shade Spire, Spire box. And I remember putting that together in our hotel room, or maybe that was it. Maybe putting it together, Iron Halo. I think it was Iron Halo. I think Iron it was Halo. Iron Halo. But yeah. I think it was twenty. I think it was just you and me in the room on yeah. that one. Yeah, because I think it was twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, and then twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen was year two, which was yeah. Night Vault. Now twenty nineteen onward is Beast Grave. So yeah, so twenty. But yeah, they they've seen the success of that. I'm like, wait a minute, we can really make a thing of these other games as long as they're well constructed games. Yep. Yeah, and I think they've been trying to stick with that. So yeah, and then 20, yeah, so that wraps up, you know, 2018, 2019, this year, we got Gene Steeler Cults. Yeah. Uh, we got the Vigilist campaign books. Yeah. Vigilist Defiant and Vigilist Ablaze, which brought us, uh, brought back formations. Kind of, kind of, and but then, then kind of abandoned. <laughs> then kind of abandoned. I, they, I liked this, I liked the specialist yeah. formation, the specialist detachment implementation better. I just wish they hadn't, completely discarded it after yeah and maybe it'll come back i've heard rumors that there's more vigilist stuff from other campaigns after psychic awakening but yeah so far we haven't seen anything yeah and it's also we got shadow spear which introduced a whole bunch of new like we got new chaos space marine course you know for the first time we got new havocs we got uh new slanesh models yeah, yeah yeah we got a whole bunch of like new slanesh demon models um we got like abaddon Got his kick-ass yeah. new model. Um, we got like a whole bunch of new like sneaky Primaris models, and then we got the uh, Chaos Space Marine 2.0 Codex, which rolled in all the stuff from Shadow Spear yep. and some of the stuff, which was some of it was in Vigilus, some of it was in Shadow Spear, and rolled that all into one Codex. And so you could like, hey, if, and they all even said like, hey, if you already have mm-hmm. Chaos Space Marine Codex one. And you already have these other two sources. You don't really good. need yeah. the codex, but if you want it all collected in one place, here's a here's a new codex. Yeah, great, fantastic, great way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we got that summer. We got the new apocalypse, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, but you have to have the right mindset on how to play because it plays differently than forty yeah. k. It is a very different game, and it it is. I've played both, like in the last this year, I've played both like old school apocalypse and new apocalypse. I like playing New Apocalypse better. Yeah. I th- don't know how well it scales to multiple, like multiple, multiple players. Like mm-hmm. it, it scales like four players just fine. Beyond that, I, I'm not sure quite how it would like for a massive apocalypse yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, but I do enjoy playing. It's, it actually does feel like you're playing a big battle, but you can get it done in a reasonable amount of time, which is what they wanted to deliver on. And I think they did it. Then we got this summer, like after Apocalypse, Space Marine Codex 2.0. The current bugaboo. <laughs> the current bugaboo because uh, it brought back ta- it brought back combat doctrines, which mm-hmm. is something we had back in like the sixth edition. Yeah, Space Marine Codex. And at first, like it, when the book first came out, it's like, well, this book is very interesting, but man, it's just generic. It is like about as generic as a book. And then we got the uh, started getting supplements. Started getting supplements, and Iron Hands came out and broke all the things, <laughs> and is still breaking all the things. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if 
I mean, I, I, I don't know if I would necessarily say Iron Hands are broken, or like Space Marines are broken. They are definitely at the top of the power pyramid yes. right now, though. Yeah. They, well, and again, like we talked, as you mentioned earlier, like they're going to fix that. They're going to release more stuff. They're going to update other armies. Like it's not going, this isn't going to be a forever state. We're not going to be in a two or a three year period where Space Marines are just rolling everybody because they just won't let the game go that long, which is great. Like, I can deal with it for six months, and honestly, Space Marines should be good. You know, because before, they were rather weak. Yeah. So, like, they needed a boost. They probably didn't need this much of a boost. Yeah. Um, to put back my, my hat of, like, Chaos Marines can't get anything good themselves, my frustration is that, like, the design philosophy between those 2.0 codexes... Couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more different. Well, one got an update and one just got all, here's your old rules rolled into yes. something. Well, and like all of the different, and, and you see it now with the Psychic Awakening stuff for, you know, like now there's Legion traits and Legion, more Legion stuff. That all probably should have been in the Chaos Space Marine 2.0 Codex. Just just wait till Chaos Space Marine 2.5. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so I'm a chaos player. I gotta grumble about something. So th- and then and then yeah, psychic <laughs> awakening, which a very very uh, big project of theirs. Yeah, uh, I, trying to do basically a campaign, but or I mean, not really. It's not really a campaign though. They 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 kind of sold it as a campaign series, but none of them are really campaigns. There's a couple of narrative missions in each one, but it's basically more like. Here's the hot spots and what's yeah. going on for each faction or set of factions at this particular time yeah. in various spots yeah, around someone, the galaxy. Someone, I don't remember where I read this, but someone speculated, so like this hasn't been confirmed or anything, that the way they kind of thought that this is happening is that like Vigilus is the current, current stuff happening, and then Psychic Awakening is kind of filling in the backstory to get us up to Vigilus. And like, you know, and like kind of set, and then, and then that'll set the stage for if they decide they want to do a ninth edition next year or another big update. And uh, I don't know if I completely buy that, but I, I'm not. But it kind of explains why Psychic Awakening feels more like a collection of here's where things are at rather than an actual well, narrative that's campaign. That's kind of, well, I think campaign's the wrong word yeah. to use for Psychic Awakening. I agree. It's more, it's, it's, here's the narrative going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is going forward, kind of like campaigns moving sure. forward, but this is more like your galaxy-wide narrative of what's yeah. been going on and giving, at the same time, updates to each of the factions along the way because they're trying not to just give you codexes, like have yeah. a new codex Would every like year. That? So this is their way of kind of doing it. But This wh- is our patch cycle, right? Right. Yeah. And And when you do a campaign book, it's normally like, what, four factions maybe? Yeah. And there's a lot more than four factions in 40k right now. Right. So this is yeah. about the only way they can try and evenly give everybody updates right. over the course of like a year and move the narrative forward, which we've been asking for them to do since like sixth edition. And, such. I, I, and I think, and we'll talk about this probably in our next episode when we talk about some of the Psychic Awakening books. But uh, my my one gripe with it is every single one feels like it's halfway of a campaign it's like halfway of a narrative it's getting you up to not even the climax but getting you the escalation of each of these war zones but not but then not really giving you the payoff the the payoff but at the same time something's definitely happening like there's there's this 
thread throughout of human there are more psychically aware humans being born probably because of the presence of the great rift like more people are developing psychic powers but some of them are developing like positive faith-based psychic powers like imperial positive powers and some of them are just going into sorcery and mutation and such so it's it's kind of a mixed bag but yeah i'm i'm curious to see where it's going but each like each one of the ones that have been released so far feel like like i said about half of a narrative and i'd like i want more out of it but i will say um some have been more successful than others as far as like updating the armies like I think the Eldar one's kind of okay. If you're Eldar, it's, it's yeah. really good. If you're Dark Eldar, it's okay. Harlequins and Yunari, you're there. Yeah. Um, but on the other, like, Faith and Fury, if you're Black, if you're Black Templars, it's a required book because yep. it's the only way to really play your army. Um, if you are Chaos Space Marines and not Black Legion or Thousand Sons of Death Guard, yeah. it you is a, it, it is yeah. a much needed book. Um, Blood of Ball, if you are a Blood Angels player, it is a required book. It is effectively a codex patch for you. Yep. Uh, Nids, uh, maybe not quite to that extent. Not, not quite as much, but there's still some interesting options in there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me because, and obviously we're still in the Psychic Awakening stuff, so we can't really judge it until the campaign's completed. Right. It kind of feels more like the Gathering Storm than anything else. Yeah, like which it's kind of leads me to believe that we might be getting a ninth edition soonish. If you say ish, because I mean, because they still got time to run through this whole thing, but right? Like, and there's going to be about twelve books. Yeah, and they're putting about one a month. Well, they yeah, yeah. So so I've heard twelve books. I've also you know I think originally they said twelve books. Yeah. We've also heard that they're going to like wrap it up around. I've heard, I've heard rumors they're going to wrap it up around June. Maybe that is a ninth edition. Yeah. Maybe it yeah. is a revised 8th edition, kind of like Age of Sigmar technically has a 2nd edition, sure, but they but don't refer called. to it as such. Well, in May, June, that summer release window is A, when their fiscal year ends, that's when they try to do big, that's also when they do the big releases, so that's when, like, Armageddon released, it's when 8th edition released, 7th, 6th, you know, APOC, all so that's kind of when they do the big summer release, so if they're gonna do a 9th edition, you know, an update to 8th edition, or technically an update to warhammer 40k because it's technically an unnamed edition i think that's when it'll happen and that would kind of wrap up with this project touch all the armies and then maybe update the core rules and give us non-shitty cover rules if if they speed up the release schedule psychic awakening then i could see that i'm still thinking they'll probably stretch psychic awakening out and then maybe have a ninth i would be take i would be fine if it takes longer but because I still like Eighth Edition, I like where we're at. Well, but, and the yeah. thing is, I think if we do have a new edition, I'm not even yeah. saying, that, but like if we have a revised Eighth or whatever, I have a feeling it is going to be something not even as drastic as like a sixth to seventh mm-hmm. or no. a fifth. I think it's going to be it, it's going to be Just kind of like age, like Age <laughs> yeah. of Sigmar. Like if you look at the the differences between the two editions, really, like the main changes were they like gave you a command point system for activating mm. like hero powers 
and a couple of other minor minor touch-ups, but for the most part, it's the same rules. I have a feeling if they did this, they would roll in like all the rules that have been added to like like mm-hmm. chapter revisions approved. via yeah anything that's been added via chapter approved any errata because the rule book has not been reprinted with errata yet yeah. even, and that's that's really what needs doing. So if if our ninth edition is just hey we've updated the fluff in the core book and we've rolled in all the new rules that we you know that we've discovered over the last year. Really, balance wise, other than some of the armies themselves being slightly OP, yeah. the game's yeah. in a g- relatively good spot mechanics wise. I think. Right. I mean, I could see that. Like, if you remember when they released sixth edition, they never actually called it sixth edition. Nope. True. They did not. They, they just called it the new edition. Yes. yes. Like seventh edition, they actually called seventh edition. Right. But like sixth edition, they actually never. They just said the they new they edition. they always just called it the new edition. That may be what we're looking at for a quote unquote ninth edition yeah. is is just a refinement of this. And I'd, yeah. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, players will uh, call it ninth though. I, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. But like the big things that I've you know, obviously the cover rules really suck in this edition and need to be changed. Um, I could maybe see them changing how stratagems work. And I could maybe see them doing something like adding endless spells or some an ability like that from Sigmar, but that's really kind of it. Like, there's yeah, I, I would love to see them put in the shooting stuff from Kill, Kill Team. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, if you're obscured or if you're more than half distance away, yeah, I mean, it's like there there's things that could. But those be, are minor, all minor oh, yeah. changes where yeah. like would have in big impact on the game, but wouldn't require a, math- a full edition change right. or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's. It's hard to to guess um, exactly where this is going to go. There's yeah. a couple. There's a number of ways they could take it, and yeah. all of them have evidence towards them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we would be we would not be doing our job if we did not mention that in 2019, Sisters of Battle. <laughs> so we mentioned that there was the the uh, big community survey, and they said like the one overwhelming message they got back from everyone is plastic sisters, please. We want plastic sisters, and obviously the sales of like Saint Celestine, like she flew off the shelves. Pardon the pun, and she has wings because she has wings. So at uh, I want to say was it Adepticon or was it LVO? Like it was one of the major conventions. It they- was LVO. Last year, LVO 2018. Yes, LVO yeah, 2018. Where yeah. they said, "Okay, so we're gonna bring pla- we're gonna bring out Plastic Sisters by twenty sometime 2019, Emperor willing." Yep. And then it was, I think, at Adepticon when they re- gave everybody a, uh, pl- or was it Nova that they gave it everybody was a plastic cannon? Nova this year. Yeah, they gave everybody, and they had like the sister battle sister Amelia Amelia that came out like during the summer. Yeah. The the whole Plastic Sisters thing was super cool because it was they used the community site and the Battle Sister Bulletin to like show the process and show the CAD work and kind of show like this is the what process of like you, rather than just dropping an entire new army like they did with Dark Eldar back in the day like they walked us through the process and the design and the production and I thought that was super cool because that's something that. GW from three years ago would have never have done that. Well, and it also shows you how long the process mm-hmm. takes. Yeah. Well, Up to just... and including giving us a beta codex. Yeah. Yes. They gave yeah. us a beta like... codex in chapter approved 2018. Yeah. And to mixed results, but they 
they made they listened. sure they listened because they then listened. Yeah. They got feed. You know, they put in chapter proof twenty eighteen. Like, yeah, we we want feedback. And when they got feedback, what like one of the things they said in the ba- Battle Sister Bulletin was like, okay, so we got the feedback, and people don't like this acts of faith system. So we're going to go back to the drawing board, come up with something new, and they they did that. And I think it's been successful. I th- mm-hmm. I think it it's it looks like a really cool way to play it. So yeah, I think they. You know, GW has finished off 2019 and the 2010s, yep. a very different company than when they started, yes. with a very different game and a very different process, a very different um, interaction with the community, you know, a very different relationship, and it's in a much better place. Yes, you, you across can, the board. Yeah, you can disagree with certain like individual aspects. Like I said, there are people that don't like Primaris. There are people who don't they they miss their vehicle facings they miss this they miss that they, they there's certain things about there the game people who still complain that flyers and lords of war shouldn't be in the game yeah i mean <laughs> hell i mean the friendly at renegade open is retro hammer yeah. that doesn't allow either of those things um and you know you can agree or disagree on on individual elements but overall i think everyone would have to agree that gw at games workshop and warhammer 40k are in a much better much healthier place than even than when they started the decade and that is with hitting the doldrums of 2014 and just that that low like the the low point of relationship with the with their fans and with the and in the game as a whole and even you know the the real struggle to be positive about the game in 20, in, you know, in 7th <laughs> edition and just like as 7th edition went on, it's just like, oh, I'm so tired of this edition. Well, and I, and I think one of the biggest things that just shows the health of the hobby at this point is the fact that when we started, what, there were what, four or five other big 40K podcasts? Yeah. Like we knew everybody didn't. There are dozens you know now it's like there's so many people talking about the hobby there's so many blogs and youtube videos and like people talk about the hobby there's if you look on bcp you know best coast pairings for events you find dozens of events every weekend yeah and that was what i was gonna say is look at what the tournament scene was back in like the beginning of the decade to now i mean it's night and day as well yeah it focused more on like the little store tournaments now it seems to be people are focused on big traveling tournaments that cater to like 40, 80 people. We're able yeah. to run a GT. What the hell? Like, yeah. I mean, we're idiots <laughs> and we're able to run a GT. And so, <laughs> but yeah. And, and if somebody asked me, where do you think GW will be at the in 2029? It's like, I have no way of knowing because if you had asked me at the beginning of 2010, where is GW going to be at the end of the decade? I would have given you a completely. I would have been like, this game is just going to kind of plod along. If you just asked like they've me, always done, maybe have a couple of changes here and there, nothing major. If you'd asked me in 2016 where the company was going to be at the end of the decade, I'd have given I'd have given even money on them not existing, just even at that point. <laughs> like, I mean, to be honest with no. you, like well, <laughs> it's like the the you had the the early part of the 2010s where they were losing market share to War Machine. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, which most of the fans of War Machine were disgruntled GW fans, and some of the developers of the game were people who had, like, not been happy with how GW had done things. And when we had, you know, entire companies that got started where, like, Mantic and Warlord Games started by, you know, former slash disgruntled GW employees. Yeah. So you have entire, you know, that 
much like the in, in the role playing, I'll kind of make this comparison. Again, much like in the RPG system, we're like you know world where fourth edition D and D bombed so hard that it spawned an entire generation of game designers to make designers to make their own game. That's kind of what happened with like fifth, sixth edition forty k. Is the company got like so bad and was mishandling things so much that it caused ITC to to start organizing events. It caused these other companies to come out of the woodwork. It caused podcasts to start talking about the game because nobody else would. And I think when they come out of it, I think that's made the hobby a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I I I think uh, it would be wrong to also not mention strangely enough. The impact of Fantasy Flight games yeah. primarily by becoming their biggest competitor with X-Wing. Eating their lunch for a good good while, yeah. Yeah, and they realized, like, if we are going – we have gone from, like, the top models, like – because there was once upon a time when, like, Warhammer 40K models, just 40K models mm-hmm. outsold everything else, including other Games Workshop yeah. model lines, and then – there was a point, and I think it was about 2016, 2017, X-Wing suddenly became the number mm-hmm. one model seller. And I think that was that and some of the other, and like all these other companies picking up and the prevalence of like Kickstarter driven games, yeah. crowdfunded games. Um, it really caused GW to re-examine like where are, like what have, like how do we respond to this and get beyond it and, I'm glad the decision they made was, well, maybe we really should listen to what people want and like figure out what, like, listen, like, what has the community been saying and how can we deliver it and, and do what these other companies are doing? But damn it, we should be able to do it better because we're yeah. Games Workshop. I think they have. Yeah. No, they, they, they were, they were at a crossroads. They could have continued what they were doing and eventually. Not done not, it anymore. Not, yeah, not existed. Or they could adapt and change, you know, and and change their business plans. And they did, and it's worked really well. Yep. So I'm and I'm personally glad because I like this game. I like this community. Like I like doing this podcast. I like that we have stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, as as sometimes infuriating as it is, sometimes it's exhausting, and sometimes it's just. Sometimes it's awesome. Mostly it's awesome, but yeah, it it's been this last eight and a half years that we've been talking about it, and the year year and a half before that, where we were just playing the game of this decade, has been a roller coaster ride, and that's is that is equal parts exhilarating and terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our look at the decade that was. Um, so uh, no hobby progress on this one. We talked. Actually, I have a, I, since oh, I wasn't have, on the last yes, one, I, okay. I do want to give some hobby progress okay. updates. Um, so I was lucky enough to uh, be able to take the CK Studios uh, Airbrushing 101 class uh, in Phoenix uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately, this is completely my fault. Uh, my mic broke, so I couldn't record an interview. Um, I actually had to ask them to like stay on after the, after the class was done and then like spent like 20 minutes trying to like get everything to work and it just didn't happen. Um, but, uh, the class was amazing. If you get a chance to take it, um, it's really helpful. Like they went over, you know, obviously the specifics of airbrushing and trigger control and how to use the airbrush, how to clean it, how to do this, but also just things that like I'm, I'm a very technical person. I'm not an artist, unlike, you know, 
Richard and Rob here, um, explaining color theory and light, light, you know, source lighting and shading and stuff like that. Like just those things that like I've known about, but like having them explained and then going through and getting to look at them and, you know, like having hands on, like, no, try this instead. And just made it such a good experience. And like, I've, I'm a little bit disappointed because I immediately, since it's vacation and the holidays, I immediately came back home and I haven't had a chance to like put any of it into, into play yet. But like, I'm really looking forward to being able to like start painting my Imperial Knights and start painting, you know, other models and stuff like the whole shelf of, uh, of models that I haven't had a chance to paint yet, but, um, it was a really, really great class. And, uh, if, if you get a chance, it's, uh, it's Google for CK studios. You can see their class schedule for, uh, 2020 and where they're going. Um, they are also out at, do seminars at some of the bigger events. I'm taking two of their classes at LVO, um, to learn how to paint, uh, one's painting an armature and one is like doing terrain painting. Um, but, they're doing all sorts of great classes there. They're doing all sorts of traveling classes. They are a bit expensive. Um, it was like two fifty to take the airbrushing one one class, but it was absolutely worth it. Um, you know, just to get in the community and, you know, being able to follow up and, and ask questions and really just, just learning a lot more about it and like being comfortable with airbrushing and, you know, painting and stuff like that. So I, I'm, I wholeheartedly endorse their classes and I think it was great, um, that they did it. And, uh, we will definitely try to get them on, I think at some point to do an interview, um, uh, to kind of talk more about the classes and go over more of the details and stuff. But it was a blast. It was good to have, there was like 16 people in the class, um, when the one I took. So it was a good, good way to meet people in the community and just kind of get more comfortable and more familiar with it. Um, so, wholeheartedly enjoy and you know endorse it if they come to your town and you have even an interest in airbrushing you should talk to them and try to sign up for the classes because it was great yeah i i missed my chance to i just i didn't have the funds at mm-hmm. the time for the one that was here in in kc yep. it just like with my schedule and everything it just didn't end up like working out but well, and i spoke with nathan a little bit because he did take that class yeah. and nathan is is way more advanced as a painter than i am mm-hmm. and he was like oh no i learned so much you know he talked about the stuff that he learned and he was he was excited for it as well the nice thing as well once you take the class there's like uh, an alumni uh, Facebook group that you can join and like go in there and you can ask questions and get, you know, additional, you know, uh, additional follow up and stuff. So it, it's, it's a really great community to be part of. So Very, it was awesome. Very was cool. Really, really great to take. So yeah, definitely, definitely a, a full on recommendation. For Absolutely. That. Yeah. yeah. Wholeheartedly. Um, even if you can't get to their classes and do their weekenders, they're at, you know, LVO, Adepticon, Nova, things like that. So if you get a chance, Try you know sign up for some of their classes. They had a uh, uh a, a introduction to airbrushing class, which was like the condensed crash course version of what I did over the that weekend at LVO last year, and it was greatly helpful too. So. Okay, well I'll have to check them out next time they yeah. are around the area. All right, well I think that pretty much wraps up our year here at yep. <laughs> Preferred Enemies. So from all of us here, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and see y'all in 2020.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.